So I guess um I guess should I start it off, Sid, or uh I I could have started off, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Here, why, why don't you go ahead and start it off? Okay. Sora Koroba Chita Futatsu no Hoshiga Hikari to Yami no Minamo Tsukiru Marete Yuku I instantly regret it. Make it stop. Hokari no Michi wo Yukemono ni tayo nubijigi wo Yabo no hate wo me sasamono you know, it, it's a thing. You, you guys are related to Welcome, everybody, to our JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Q&A Special Extravaganza. Woohoo! Yeah! I'm glad someone's excited. Yeah. I've only been awake for an hour, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not as excited, but I'm also excited because we got a lot of questions. Yes, my dream of doing a Q&A special has finally happened. It only took a year, but thanks to JoJo's, we got 40 questions from 10 different people. Woohoo! Yay. I could I could beat that. It only took me 3 years to get a Q&A special. I don't know if that's really any better. I'm I'm really excited to uh, to have all these questions to to go through and talk about. I I honestly did not expect us to get this many questions like at all. I guess when you ask about JoJo, people come with yes, and- <laughs> indeed. And they and they all ask like the same four questions too. Yeah, pretty much. It's to be expected there'd be a few repeats, but I'm so happy to be doing something like this. Because it really shows that we have grown quite a bit of an audience and, you know, interest in our podcast. And as we're continuing to grow, it's really cool to see so much fan feedback. Uh, That's why, while there's still time, I'd highly suggest you guys take our annual survey. That's right. This survey is meant to basically let you guys give us some feedback of what you want to see from the show and what you would like us to do moving forward in 2017. We've gotten some good responses and good uh, f- ideas from the survey so far, and I just want to keep getting them. So please take that survey while it's still available. It'll be up through the end of the month, and we'll read out some of the most interesting results on our first show of February. So that's until about the 31st on Tuesday. Basically... Another interesting thing of note is that we are finally on YouTube! That's right, Manga Mavericks is finally on YouTube. We've just begun uploading our content, and we'll hopefully upload stuff regularly on there. So if you're a YouTube person, you can go and listen to our podcast on there, and there'll be some nice visuals to accompany our YouTube uploads for those of you who like to look at something while you're listening to a podcast. Well, so there you go. Go follow us on YouTube if you, uh, if you, if you like to surf through YouTube. Yes, please like and subscribe our videos on YouTube because we need a hundred subscribers in order to get a custom URL. So 
please uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like our videos because that'll help our channel grow. Yes, please. I think that's about it for housekeeping, right? I believe so, yeah. So let's get on to the Q&As. First off, we have an email from our good friend Allison. She writes, Hello, Maga Mavericks. It's Meowth900 here. I wanted to say some stuff about JoJo's because it's a series I really like. Now, she goes into her history with JoJo's a little bit. I first heard of JoJo's through Country Roll getting simulcast rights through Stardust Crusaders and getting Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency. I binge-watched both parts by the time I caught up to Stardust Crusaders was just beginning. I love Dio and still love him, and I also love Jonathan Joestar. A lot of people think he's boring, but I thought he was cool. I agree. I love Joseph Joestar from Battle Tendency, but I didn't think Caesar very much, but I felt sad when he died. After I got caught up, I watched Stardust Crusaders Weekly as it came out in Crunchyroll and was super excited learning that Dio came back because I love that guy. While the series itself could be excused to being slow, it's fun to watch compared to something like Attack on Titan. Yeah. The main <laughs> cast of Stardust, uh, main cast of characters is cool too. Joseph even came back as the grandpa. I thought Jotaro was kind of intimidating scary at first, but I grew to like him. Kakyoin was a cool guy and Polnareff was funny as hell. I wish Abdal could have had more moments though. Yeah, you really could have. Pretty much. Stardust Crusaders ended as well as it could and I was sad because no more JoJo's. Then Diamond Unbreakable was announced and I was happy again. I was sad that there was no more Dio Brando, but the new JoJo looked like fun. Josuke was his name and he was awesome. He was like Joseph Joestar with a standing cooler too. I wasn't into Diamond at first, but I grew to love it when Kira shows up. I think a lot of people were iffy on Diamond at first, but then when Kira shows up, they were like, yeah, this is the best See, I, I really, I really liked a lot of the, uh, the pre-Kira stuff, though. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure why people seem to, like, not, not like it too much. Makes, makes, well, makes me kind of I sad. like the pre, I like the pre-Kira stuff, too, but basic, the basic complaint people had was that there wasn't as high stakes. Like, it was very episodic slice of life adventures, and while those were fun, they didn't really have the momentum, uh, that even Sardis Crusaders Battle Tendency had, where it was like, there was this big, uh, like, threat that was constantly looming over the heroes' heads, and they were fighting their way towards a goal. There wasn't a clear goal in the first half of Diamonds Unbreakable until Hero shows up. So I think that was what caused some people some ambivalence towards that half of the series. Even though I didn't initially enjoy the like first half of part four, I, I really like it now. But I, I definitely understand like the whole like not liking it due to the low stakes at the beginning. Because once Kira shows up, that that the Kira stuff is probably the best part of part four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I agree. Mm-hmm. As Allison says, Kira's awesome. Uh, she watched Diamond on Crunchyroll every week, and now that it's over, she's very sad. She misses JoJo's on Fridays a lot. Yeah, as 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 we all do. Mm-hmm. She loves JoJo's and would like to see more of it. She's watching the dub on Tanami right now, and while Viaboos say it doesn't sound as good, I say the dub <laughs> workers are doing their best to adapt it for American eyes as mine. I like Whoever the Whoever they got voicing... Yeah, me too. Whoever they got voicing Dio and Joseph do a good job. I hope Tanami can air Stardust, Crusaders, and Diamond is Unbreakable eventually. I do too. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like JoJo's is uh, really turning any heads on Tanami. Like, it's doing pretty... Not bad, but kind of average, which is a little disappointing. 
it, it could be doing better. Oh, it could be doing a lot better. I mean, as long as it's doing better than One Piece, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as well, it makes them picking up some secret seasons less a priority. Yeah. If it's not doing, like, really well. Because, you know, they, that's a separate license for the subsequent seasons. So then they have to get like a whole new contract to get that season. And if it's not a show that's like picking people's interests in terms of casual viewers, it's just doing okay. They don't have like as much incentive to go out and get the other seasons like immediately. Like they might wait for a while. So I kind of have thoughts on that, but um, is there more to the email? Yeah, she does actually have a question. And her question is, where can I read the rest of JoJo's? I hear good things about future parts and don't know if part 5 is going to come out or not. Unfortunately, the rest of JoJo's is not currently licensed, so there is no legal way to read uh, parts 5 through 8. Eventually, part 4 will be released by Viz Media later this year, so you there is going to be a legal way to read that soon. But part 5 through 8 currently do not have any legal distribution methods. So unfortunately, you cannot read those parts legally right now. And we cannot in good conscience tell you where you can go and uh, find a place to read those parts. Yeah, we're, we're not we're not going to pretend that scans don't exist, but we're scans? also... I don't know what scans are. I only read legal manga, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like Sid said, we, we can't we can't in good conscience be promoting uh, less than legal uh, manga reading sites. We just can't do that. Yeah. I do think that eventually we will get all of the JoJo's manga legally available over here. But it will take some time, and we're just going to have to wait for that. Yeah, a very, very long time. Yes. I actually did kind of have some thoughts on about um, JoJo being on Toonami, because I feel like um, I feel like maybe part of the reason it's not doing as well as it could be is because maybe, um, I don't know, do, do you guys think maybe it took too long for JoJo to get on Toonami? Because I feel like I feel like if they had gotten it on TV earlier, maybe there would have been more buzz for it. Because I know at one point Jason DeMarco did put it out there that like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was like among one of their most requested titles to be put on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, like even when they eventually got on, it was still one of their most requested shows. I think JoJo hype was still about as high when they got it. I think it's just the problem is that it's not resonating with the people who are watching DBZ, and that when those people go yeah, to JoJo, yeah. they just aren't interested because it's, like, too weird for them. See, there's a disconnect between the people who want something in Toonami and the people who actually watch something on Toonami. And yeah. the people who are represented in the Nielsen homes. And there are the hardcore Toonami fans, and then there are casual viewers. And so those audiences don't always line up. Casual viewers love Dragon Ball, and they'll watch, you know, Dragon Ball Z, and that that is all they care about, really. And some of them will trickle down to the shows afterwards, but a good chunk don't, because all they care about is Dragon Ball. And so, Dragon Ball is somewhat of a double-edged sword, because, like, it does give a boost to whatever is airing after it and a, to the box as a whole. But at the same time, like, there's always going to be a big drop between Dragon Ball Z and the show airing after it because there's way more people 
casual viewers in America who care about our interest in watching Dragon Ball than any other anime. Because that's one of the big titles in America. Like, that's one of the shows that people know about. And not as many people know about, like, JoJo's or Hunter x Hunter and Gundam. Those are extremely big with anime fans. Those are extremely big with anime fans. But with normal, casual people who don't, aren't really into the anime scene, they probably haven't heard of them. I, I think the thing is, though, is that if Hunter x Hunter was in, like, where JoJo is right now on Tanami, it would probably be doing better than JoJo. So I wonder if it's maybe, maybe? that... I, I kind of wonder if, like, maybe they should try putting Hunter x Hunter behind DBZ... And then JoJo after Hunter Hunter, because I I think that would be a better transition to JoJo and JoJo's like very very anime ish I guess. I don't know. I don't think that. I mean, I personally don't feel like that will really change the situation all that much. I mean, because I don't. When Hunter Hunter was at twelve thirty, like it's still at drops from DBZ. Like it's not like. It was doing any better than JoJo's is right now, comparatively. At least, not that I've seen based on looking at the ratings. I don't think that transition is really good. I don't think that Hunter x Hunter is a better transitional show between DBZ and the rest of the lot than JoJo's is, necessarily. I don't think it'll make a difference to switch their places in the lot. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I do think that Hunter x Hunter would do better at 1am than the Gundam shows do. Oh, yeah. But, you know, maybe they could switch Hunter x Hunter and Gundam. But, I don't I, I don't know. I, I think anything that airs at 1230, like, unless it is another, like, really big name thing, is gonna have just a big drop from BBC. But let's let's talk about more JoJo's related things. Well, actually, now. actually, here, I kind of I, I kind of want to maybe bring up another discussion real quick, just because I feel like this is going to be the best place to talk about it. This, I guess, is the best opportunity because I'm actually really curious because Allison brings up the uh, uh, the JoJo dub, and I'm I'm legitimately curious as to what you both think of the JoJo's dub so far. I think it's really good. I like all the voices, and I'm perfectly satisfied with it. Okay, but well, what about you, V Lord? I really like the dub. I mean, I know people have problems with like the part one accents, but I think I don't. I, I think I, they're. I fine. think they make sense. Yeah, I think they're fine because, like, even in the ja- even in the Japanese version, they're still using like over the top accents. Hmm. Yeah, you just don't realize it because they're speaking Japanese, and you don't know. And like most people can't like pick up on what like the Japanese impression of a British person sounds like. But yeah, they're doing accents in the original Japanese version too. And then the part the part two dub is just perfection. It's perfection. Yeah. Because hmm, actually, so far, I'm I'm actually I certainly don't hate the JoJo dub, but I will say I feel like. Um, and I mean, this gets into a whole different discussion with, you know, dubs versus subs and what people really expect from, from, from an English dub of something. But I feel like, so, so I don't, I don't know if this is like a, I guess, I guess if this is a fair criticism, but I, I, I'm not sure if I'm like completely in love with the dub just because I feel like, cause, cause the talent pool that they have, you know, in the original is so vast and, I mean, let's face it. Like, I th- I think the voice acting in in just the anime in general is is just is just amazing, and I think really captures 
uh, the feel and tone of Jojo very well. But I also kind of feel like that doesn't really translate very well into English. Because we, we kind of talked about it a little bit in our last Jojo discussion where parts one and two especially, I think we can all agree like the dialogue isn't always the best. Like, again, I always attribute it to like 60s comic books where they're very descriptive about every single action that they do. And there's rarely any, like, internal monologue that, like, everybody's always speaking aloud and basically always presenting themselves and all their actions before they do them. And I feel like, <clears throat> even even in the original, it's not always the most interesting dialogue. And I feel like that being translated into English kind of makes it more, like, makes it come off more hokey in English, if that makes any sense. Like, I, I feel like the voice acting in general doesn't really capture the charm of the voice acting of the original. But again, I'm not sure if that's really a fair criticism at all, because I feel like that's just that's just a problem with English dubs in general. And I, and I also want to put out there, I am not a, I do not hate English dubs. I think they are just fine. I don't, very, there are very few dubs that I actually have problems with that I've actually watched. But it is also probably isn't fair, because like, I've watched all of the part one dub. And I thought overall that was fine, except for Speedwagon. I actually do not like Speedwagon's performance at all. I'm sorry. Like, I personally think it just has no... I'm trying to think of what the right word I want to use is. It, it doesn't feel like it has any, like... Im, like it, it feels phoned in, I guess is what I wanted to say. Um, and though I haven't seen all of the Part 2 dub, I, I, I really love that they got... Um, I believe his name is Ben Diskin... Uh, for I I really like that they got him for Joseph because he is pretty much the best uh casting choice you could have made for Joseph I think him and um who else who else do I like in the dub I like a lot of the Pillar Men I think they're done just fine at least Elise is great too and as much as I love Bryce Pappenbrook I I really I really like his acting but and I, and I know there are people out there who like him as Caesar but I just I just don't I think the accent does kind of ruin it a little bit but, okay. I, but i don't know what do you guys think yeah i have no problems with the jojo stuff i don't like all that hokiness and stuff like you're just kind of more aware like the of the hokiness of the original because it's in english now so That's it's not fair. really a problem with the dub it's just like now because it's in a language you actually understand and with an acting style you actually know now you're picking up on oh this was this is kind of hokey and like over the top and stuff, but like it's that's how it is in the original too. It's just that now in a language that you actually know and understand, it's like now you actually realize it. And that's a totally fair point. I I completely agree with that. Though I'm not sure if I would say I'm I'm more aware of it because I feel like I'm I feel like I'm aware of it enough in in the original with the Japanese as well. I just because I feel like. There, there are certain nuances in the voice acting that when I first watched the English dub, I kind of sort of realized that some of it wasn't really going to translate very well into, into an English script, like with stuff like, uh, stuff like Dio's, uh, vampire breathing noises that are very iconic. And then, uh, this might be a more shallow reason why I don't like the dub. I was actually kind of disappointed that they didn't keep the goodbye JoJo line, uh, but I mean, I I could get over stuff like that, but it's just an example of like cer certain nuances in the voice acting that I think jo make JoJo very iconic. 
aren't really carried over in the English dub. It it, it makes me kind of sad that that some like stuff like that isn't carried over. I also understand that at the same time, like stuff like that is going to get lost in the translation of the script and whatnot, and it's and there's no way to really like uh really make that sound. I guess, good in English, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, I I just don't have any... I don't have any real problems with the other sub. Like, you don't like Speedwagon, but... Uh, like Speedwagon Subboys, but honestly, I find Keith Silverstein's performance pretty good. I, like, I like it. Like, I don't have any problems with it. it so. Hey, Sid, it takes all kinds to make the world go round. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't have... I actually think that I might have enjoyed watching Fan and Blood more dubbed than I did originally. Because originally, like, I stopped in the middle of Fan and Blood, like, walking in because I lost interest, like, halfway in. But, like, in the dub, like, I was, I marathoned the entire thing straight away because it was like, oh, like, I can get, I like these performances and, like, you know, I, I, it helps that I know the story and I'm a JoJo's fan now. But, like, somehow I felt watching the dub made it easier for me to watch Fan of Blood mm. all the way huh. through again. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I like the JoJo's dub. I think that it's a pretty good dub. And I think that, of course, Stardust Crusaders and Diamonds Unbreakable are going to be even better now that this is handled. Oh, yeah. yeah the Stardust Crusaders dub, I also want to say, from, from the test dub that we got, like, all those years ago... Uh, from what I remember of watching that, I thought was actually really good, and I'm a, I like I actually can't wait to watch Star Wars Crusaders dubbed because I because I know from the test dub I know what they're capable of, so I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, I really like Polnareff's voice in that test dub. Yeah, his his voice actually was pretty good. Um, I'm glad they didn't go with the really bad French accent. <laughs> um, yeah, but I also want to put on record that Johnny Young Bosch's Jonathan is of great performance. That and um, whoever voices um, Zeppeli was a great performance as well. Really captured both those characters very well. Um, but I, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, we spent 30 minutes on that, I think. <laughs> and we have 39 more questions more to go or whatever. So we really need to pick up the pace here. All right. Or we're going to be here for another three hours. We're just going to be here for like 12 hours. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, so now we're moving on to the One Dream Adventure Reborn Forums and some questions we got on there. Uh, first up is from Stavros McCline, who asks, how the heck do people figure out what their stand powers are? Now, he goes into a whole rant on, like, how he got confused and how Koichi discovered his power and, like, how Dio discovered his power. I don't want to read out the entire thing. But, uh, yeah, so, guys, how do you think people figure out how their stand powers are? Now, we do see, like, in part four with Kochi, and then later in part five with Trish, and then part six with both Jolene and Hermes, people figuring out how their powers works just by happen chance. Their stand just arises and manifests, like, when they need it to, and then they figure out their, its power is just by trying things out. But how do you think they really get a sense of what their power really is? When do you think they figure out that point? Do they just happen randomly discover it? Or do they kind of innately know it as a stand user? Because as we also saw in part four, that the user of cheap trick 
knew that he couldn't let anyone see his back, but he wasn't, he couldn't really see Stans himself, but he was, well, the Stan was born from him, and he kind of innately knew he couldn't let anyone see his back. So that was interesting. Like, how did he know that? Was it just like a premonition, just something that suddenly spurred in his mind? Because obviously, in that situation, he couldn't have let anyone see his back, otherwise he would have died. So it's very interesting to think about. Hmm. Yeah, I just kind of assumed it was just through, uh, yeah, like you said, through happen chance. Like, oh, my, I have this ghost thing now. Oh, I hope, I hope I don't get hurt. Oh, this, th- this ghost thing protected me. Oh, this is what get, what it can do. I, I just kind of figured it was all through chance, honestly. Yeah, like I think it depends on the stand. So, like. There are obviously some stands like the world where Dio was testing out his stand and that's how he figured out how long he can stop time and stuff. And then I'd say stuff like Cheap Trick is like when they get the stand, they get some sort of instinct that's kind of telling them, don't do this, this will kill you. Kind of like a subconscious like feeling of not to do something. But at the same time, there's also stands that will literally tell you what they do. Like, in part five, uh, when Trish gets her stand, Spice Girl tells Trish directly what Spice Girl can do. That's right. So, Cheap Trick probably could have told its user, like, what it will do, to if they let him see his band. Oh, yeah. Cheap Trick could talk, right? Yeah, actually, Cheap Trick told Rohan, actually. So, yeah, yeah so that's we... probably how the user knew not to show its back. Yeah. All right. So next, we have a question from Wensleydale Cheddar, who asks, if you were to invent stands based on Bleach chapter titles, what would they be? I mean, the obvious one would be Death and Strawberry. Okay, but what would be the power? Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, okay, my, mine, mine would, mine would be named Why Me Sad and, um, my my uh, that that stands power would just be to just blow people away with water. I couldn't come up with anything creative. <laughs> okay, turn back the pendulum would be a stand where you would basically swing a pendulum, and then it would turn back time and make people relive a flashback that goes on for. Let's say, oh, how long was it? I think it was ten chapters, right? Yeah, so it'd go on for ten years. Oh, oh, that that sounds pretty. That sounds yeah, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, actually, oh no, no, no! Turn back the pendulum would uh, turn back time to when Bleach first began. And would force you to keep up with Bleach weekly from beginning to end in order to defeat it. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. So you have to keep reading Bleach for 15 years. Oh, my God. That, that, that just sounds terrible. No. Yeah, no. Count me out. What about, um, remember that one part where, um, what was it? Mayuri was fighting that one pink-haired guy, and didn't he make, didn't he, like, <sighs> I don't know. I don't remember how he injected him with this, but like he used some kind. Of, he uses some kind of medicine, I think, to make that make the pink hair guy like, uh, ba- basically slow down the moment of his death to like make him feel like it lasts like a thousand years or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. 
try turning that into a stand power. Oh, that, that would be a nightmare. Get <laughs> what the chapter name for that was. Hmm. Hmm. There's so many good blue chapter titles, like memorable ones at least. Way more memorable than the actual series itself. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, why me? Sad is probably my favorite one, which was why I used it first. Wait, is that the actual chapter title? Oh my yes, god! It is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Oh god! I'm sure there are others that I'm just not remembering, but I do remember see- seeing some pretty good ones. Okay, well, here I- I'm curious. What what would Death and Strawberry be like, V Lord? I have no idea. Um. I guess it would, like, temporarily separate your stand and your body. I'm not sure okay. how that would work. So, like, you wouldn't be able to use your stand at all. And your stand would kind of run rampant, like Silver Chariot Requiem does in Part 5. I'm really glad you didn't come up with, with like, a me answer and just say, Oh, he just shoots strawberries at people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a pretty cool stand, I think. Shooting strawberries. And they're all, like, alive, too. Yeah. For some reason. Another pretty obvious one would probably be marching out the zombies, which is basically you have the same power as the zombie girl had, where if, like, any of her blood gets on you, I think, you turn into a zombie, and then she controls you. Which, by the way, I, I I didn't read that far into Bleach, but I had seen that character around, and I was like, yeah, man, Bleach is really, uh... Really got into a weird direction. Yeah. More like a dumb direction, but yeah. <laughs> oh. Then I don't I don't know if this chapter title corresponded to the fight against this guy, but rub dolls I think would be a power where it would would be similar to Pepe's power where he makes you fall in love with him and then you fight for him. Okay, I can see that. Huh. There's, there's so many, there's like, I mean, there's, there's 600 plus great chapter battles, so we, we, we could go, we could be here all day. So. I, I forget, are they all in broken English? <laughs> A lot of them are. Okay. I might, I might just reread Bleach just, just, just to, just to see that. It's not worth the culture. I mean, it's you can just go it. on Wikipedia and look up the, Bleach. you can just go on Wikipedia and look at all the chapter I, I could, but I also, read. I also want to read all of Bleach just to say I've read all of Bleach. I wish I didn't read all of Bleach. It was a mistake. <laughs> oh. Don't don't get the Bleach fans hating on us, Warren. Yeah, this this isn't the Bleach Q and A special. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Though, no. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think we got some good answers out of that. So let's move on to some questions from Animation Revelation from our good friend Spark of Spirit, who has two questions for us. First, what stands would characters like Caesar or Jonathan have had if stands existed back in parts one and two? I think Caesar's stand would just be an extension of his Hamon abilities, where he, you know, he would shoot bubbles at people and they would explode or allow him to capture things or whatever. Wait, Sid, hold on. No, no. I, I know what Caesar Stan would be. C- Caesar Stan would just be Bubble Buddy. Is that a name of a song, though? No, it's not, but I just want Caesar Stan to be Bubble Buddy. And just, just have him, like, appear and just kind of, like, stand there and not really do anything. Like, but Bubble oh. Buddy! Shoot him! Shoot him with your <laughs> bubbles! And then just nothing. 
And then he gets killed by Wham. (laughs) (laughs) The only bubble songs I can... I'm trying to look up... Oh, there is one bubble song. I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles by Dean Martin. So I guess that would be the name. I would shorten it to Forever Bubbles. Forever Blowing Bubbles, I I think. Forever Blowing Bubbles. Yeah, that, that that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Jonathan Stan would probably ha- involve him manipulating fire in some way to counteract Dio's, you know, ice powers in part one. So, well, actually, here's a really interesting thing that, like, um, when I first got into JoJo, a friend of mine pointed out to me because um, there there are moments in Stardust Crusaders where we see Dio um, using Hermit Purple. Yeah, that's implied to be Jonathan Stand, right? Yeah, that that's that's what I was going with. So so yeah, wouldn't it be implied that that would be Jonathan Stan then? Yeah, I guess both Joseph and Jonathan have Hermit Purple. I mean, I Holly also has like her own version of Hermit Purple too, as we see that like the thing infecting her looks like Hermit Purple. But too bad it hates her. Yeah, yeah, because she doesn't have the strength of will or whatever. I mean, how strong do you have to be to control Hermit Purple? It's just a bunch of vibes. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I always I always thought that was an interesting thing about um the, that that's that's always something I I always overlook with part 3 that I I also think a lot of people overlook honestly, but it's understandable. But if Jonathan did have a fire-based stand, it would have to be we didn't start the fire. <laughs> okay, that would be pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Any other characters stands you, you could uh, think of? Um uh, any other characters? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Like Speedwagon, for instance. Actually, no, no. Uh, uh, Speedwagon should have a fire-based stand because then his stand would could could be named uh, "Keep the Fire Burning." <laughs> okay. Oh, here. Well, what about? Uh, or maybe he should have a stand called "Ticket to Paradise," but I have no idea what it would do. That's actually a really good question. What would it do? I am not creative enough to come up with stand abilities, clearly. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it, it, what, okay, here. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Uh, uh, if Speedwagon had a stand called Ticket to Paradise, what would it do? S- send us an email over at magamavericks at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. So let's move on to the second question, I guess. Are there any characters you thought were underused in any part, or characters you thought Araki could have done more with? Well, there are a few of them. Yeah, Yukako for sure. I wish she was involved in more of the story of Part 4. She basically has two big arcs to herself, and then she doesn't really do anything in the rest of it. I think it would have been nice if she had been involved more with the main story of Part 4. Yeah. Uh, Fugo is an obvious oh, one. Oh, God. Fugo. dropped it in the middle of part five. I think that it would have been a really good idea if he had went through with his original plan and had him be a double agent for Diavolo and, you know, gone through with that whole plot line. Yeah, for, for me, Fugo's easily the most underused character in all of JoJo, simply because he's set up to be, like, a main cast member, and then he's just thrown away halfway through. Yeah. I think the runaway girl from Parts 3 
could have probably given No, given I don't want to see any more of her. I I already I mean Okay, hold if I if she if they made if Araki made her an actual useful character and gave her a stand and then made her one of the crusaders, I think that would have been nice. <sighs> like at least Wouldn't she just be a shooting shoe in like child character then? Like No, she if she had a stand and was actually useful, then that would be a whole different matter. Like she could have been it's like at least other child characters like are useful, but she was just completely superfluous. Like Poco was useful. Uh, you can't say that about Smokey Sid. No, Smokey was not useful. But he became the mayor of his hometown. Smokey, uh, Smokey's another one that probably should have been given more to do. With yeah, that, that was going to be my purpose. answer. But I, I forgot to, I forgot to say this on the, um, on the JoJo discussion. But yeah, Anne is definitely. Which, by the way, like, uh, she did not have a name until the anime came out, as I have just, uh, yeah. as I just researched. She didn't even have a name in the manga. They had to give her a name for the anime, so there's yeah. that. And, yeah, I forgot to mention how, yeah, she's definitely another uh, child character, but she's probably the most... Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say she's more useless than Smokey, because at least, at least she's around? Yeah, I mean, Smokey's just there to introduce Joseph, and then he kind of just goes away. But yeah, but also Anne is there to, like, just fawn over Jonathan. But ba- basically the self-insert character for Shoko Nakagawa. <laughs> yes. Yeah, before she was born, probably? I don't know. How old is Shoko? I'm, I, I, I feel like she's, like, probably in her late 20s. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe early 30s, I'm not really sure. She's thirty-one. Yeah. Oh, so. well, okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah, she probably was. She was alive at the time. Stardust Crusaders was being published. So, yeah. M- maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if Anne would be the character she relates to the most. <laughs> Should have got her to play her in the anime. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm also, I'm also glad that they got Rie Kugimiya because, like, she's, she's a very talented actress, and I love her. But yes, I know you love Kagura. <laughs> Shut up. Um. Yeah, but no, like, I think she should have been maybe not written out completely, because then they wouldn't have a reason to fight um, Dark Blue Moon, but but man, there was no reason for her to come back. She even admits herself that she's useless. I don't, I'm not, I wonder what Araki's plan for her was. Like, clearly he, he must have had an idea of what he wanted to do with her, but then he was like, eh. What I what I love and hate about Araki is that his writing is always very like I don't want to say by the seat of his pants because that's that's Toriyama's kind of the king of that, but but I think you could tell that sometimes Araki just kinda like writes and draws whatever he wants, and he really has no problem just kind of throwing away things that maybe he had a plan for, like with well, I, well, actually, I don't know because I, I was gonna the example I was gonna use. I, I hear it's just a rumor, but that whole thing where like I, I've seen people theorize that like in part four with Josuke's flashback, how the person who saves Josuke and his mother looks way too much like Josuke. So I like yeah, pe- yeah. I've seen people theorize that like there was like supposed to be a time travel plot in there somewhere, but I think that's just a rumor. Yeah, like bites the dust was supposed to go back to his childhood or something. Yeah, I think the best theory, I think that the best theory of how that would have worked 
tell, I was on a recent podcast, Mother's Basement did, uh, the Weep, a recent Weep cast where they talked about JoJo's. Oh, yeah. Where someone <laughs> mentioned, like, a, a, an idea where, like, Kira would succeed in doing Bites to Dust that final time and take Josie with him and they go back way far, like, into the past. And that was when Josuke would, like, kind of encounter his past self and, like, do all the stuff we saw in the flashback. Man, that would have been really awesome. At the same time, though, I'm kind of glad that never happened because it, to me, it, it, it's like more inspiring that just this random Samaritan was who's inspired Josuke to be a good person or whatever, rather than like he inspired himself. That's kind of, that's kind of hokey. Whereas like just the random kindness of a passing like stranger and someone like you never think would be kind or helpful like this random punk kid just helped him and his mother out like i think that is actually like more meaningful and i think that resonates a little more than like joe just gave saved himself and like that's how he became who he is like mm. yeah it's not as interesting and also you get time paradox stuff in that <laughs> is always confusing to think about yeah i i agree that is that is a very that is a very nice sentiment, but but it also does feel like it does really feel like that maybe Iraqi was gonna maybe bring, like it, it like that felt that moment felt very significant in the way where like maybe that was gonna play a part in the bigger story, but maybe it didn't. And I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Iraqi has like so many under like like I guess not underused, but scrapped ideas in every part, especially in like the later half of the original timeline. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. But I, I think that's about it for maybe for that question, unless you guys had any more answers. No. Uh, oh, I think that Mount and Tim could have done more before Rocky killed him out. And so did, and so could have Weka people. Like, both of those characters were pretty cool, but, like, they didn't get to do much before they died, which was kind of a shame. Wait, Mount and Tim, Mount and Tim was, like, part seven, right? Yeah, both Monitim and Weka people He was the rope guy, right? Yes, he was. Oh, yeah. he, he was, was cool. like the like sheriff. He was, a, he was the sheriff, you know. He had this one big... He was involved in this one big fight with Johnny and Gyro, like, when they became allies. Yeah, he, he pretty much introduces the stands in Part 7, if I recall. Yeah, but then after that, you know, he saves... Lucy. Lucy Steele. But, but then, you know, he dies in the process. And, like, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, so like, there are plenty of characters that I wish Araki had done more with, but oh well. Oh, Hall Horse. Yeah, I wish Hall Horse appeared more too. Hall Horse was so Could good. Could have showed up in part four or part five, that would have been great. Uh, so let's move on to some questions from Reddit. And first up, we've got a question from Super Trunks who asks, interpret the ending of part six, basically. And he says that this will take up most of the podcast, probably. Uh, I don't think that the ending of Part 6 is actually that confusing. Yeah, me neither. It's pretty straightforward, I think. Yeah, Emporio uses the stand weather report stand disc to uh, counteract... Uh, pretty much, he stopped the he stopped the reset cycle of Made in Heaven before it was completed. Which, as Poochie was hinting, if you do that, 
the universe blows up. But Emporio didn't care because everyone he loved was already kind of gone forever. So he's like, screw that. I'm going to kill you anyways, Poochie. You're dead. Universe blow up. New universe. Yeah, so Emporio destroyed the universe Poochie created. And then, as a consequence, a new universe was created. That's what we assume to be this SBR universe. Yeah. And so Emporio was transplanted into there. And he met a universe counterparts of Jolene and everyone. Everyone except for Foo Fighters. Yeah, because Foo Fighters. Fighters couldn't be recreated, but... Yeah. So, he gets to, you know, be with his friends in this alternate timeline. You know, even though, I guess, they're not the people he knew, but, like, they're versions of them. So. I guess the, the whole significance of that, though, was, like, less of the fact that he's with his friends again, more of, like, they're still alive in some sense. Their souls are still living on. Like, yeah, in this new world. On. Like, they aren't, they aren't erased from existence. Yeah, they exist, unlike in Poochie's world where he erased the entire Ghost Star Bottom. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, the Part 6 ending really isn't that hard to explain. Or it's a really good ending, though. It is. I think it's a good ending. It's bittersweet, but it's at the same way, you know, for what was intended to be the conclusion of the series, I think it's pretty satisfying. Yeah. Pretty definitively ends the Joe Star DOQ. So let's go on to some questions from Eon Leosite. Uh, well, some of these questions he asked, we did mentioned in our JoJo's manga fight. So Eon Leosite, if you haven't listened to that, I highly suggest, uh, you go and listen to the, those questions. The timestamps will identify uh, when we talked about and answered yours. Yes, li- listen listen to Sid pick one question and then have to pick three more because uh, because of poor planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go on and answer the questions that we didn't use for the manga fight. For the first one, where does Stray Cat go when it is with Killer Queen? Well, as we saw, Stray Cat was enclosed in Killer Queen's basically stomach. It was like this weird compartment inside Killer Queen's stomach. And the reason why no one could see Stray Cat in Killer Queen was because Stan, no one can see, like, something enclosed in the skin of a Stan. Yeah. Basically. But, like, hmm. what I'm wondering, though, is, like, when Killer Queen is dispelled, where does Stray Cat go? Does it, like, go and, like, f- infuse with, like, Kira's soul then, or...? No. We saw what happened to Stray Cat. Like, they, they, like, Cap, they took Stray Cat from Killer, from Kira and Killer Queen, and then like later on, they gave him to Okuyasu's dad for oh, some so, like, reason. Yeah, so Stray Cat doesn't like disappear when. No, it's just Stray, Stray, Stray Cat becomes a part of Okuyasu's weird but loving family. Yeah, I must have forgotten yes. about that. I mean, you saw it at the end of the anime, so I guess you missed that scene. No, I I remember watching it. I don't know. It just slipped my mind. I guess. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So, next question. Uh, who is Josuke Savior? I think we kind of covered this. It may have originally been intended to be Josuke himself, but as it stands now, it really was just a random Samaritan that, you know, just happened to be there and happened to help them out in a time of need. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Where are Caesar's siblings? That's a good question, actually. I don't I don't think we know that at all. 
probably doing their own thing, surviving. Yeah, it's like it's like how Dio had all these children, like even beyond the ones we saw, and they're just off doing their own thing, and we don't know where they are, who they are, what happened to them. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. So I, I mean, I'd speculate there's. Somewhere in Italy, probably, like, doing whatever. I mean, considering they they were from a single-parent household, they probably were busy working or something, making money to, like, survive. Probably. Yeah. They just probably didn't have knowledge, or if they did, ha- did have knowledge, interest in the legacy of their family and, you know, the all the stuff with the stone mask and her. I mean, most of them hated their father, from what I understand. Like yeah, they did. So I I wonder I wonder if Caesar maybe just like maybe just kind of left them, probably because he didn't want to get them involved in uh in in the whole like uh pillar man business or whatever. Yeah, Caesar became kind of like a punk loner like way early on too. So he probably had become pretty far detached from the rest of his family yet by that point to begin with. Yeah. I feel like somewhere in somewhere in there, there's a really sad story that could have been told with with Caesar and the rest of his family. It'd be interesting if, if like, to find out if any of Caesar's siblings ever ever had an impact in the JoJo's universe that we never really saw. I feel like that's the kind of thing you could like that a light novel could cover or something. Yeah, yeah. which I I I actually be kind of I'd be kind of interested in that actually. Maybe they went off into space to fight the army of cars. Apparently the army of cars <laughs> are good guys in George Joestar. What? Well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Like, cars becomes, like, I guess a second god to Poochie. Because Poochie also goes up in space. Huh, okay. George Joestar is just weird. I-, I can't wait till it's fully translated by someone so that I can actually read it. I hope it. I I really hope it gets picked up, but it probably never will. So, Viz, pick up the George Joestar novel. I will pay like fifty bucks for it. Also, Gamer Productions, animate this, make it an <laughs> OVA series or a movie or whatever, because this needs to be seen. It's it's long enough to be like a thirteen episode anime. It's a pretty long book. Okay, so make this make this uh, after. You're done adapting all the parts, I guess, or make this after part six, whatever. Once once they're done adapting part eight, because part nine is probably not going to be ready when they get to it. Yeah, actually, that's a good idea. If you, if you want more uh, JoJo to, to animate after uh, part eight or whatever, yeah, that, that, that'd be some good supplemental material to... Adapt all the novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go the Naruto route and adapt all the novels. <laughs> Except I'm actually interested in the JoJo novels. <laughs> okay so we don't know where Caesar's siblings are but maybe they went to space to fight Poochie or maybe they're dead I mean who knows just, just, just thought I'd put yeah. that out there probably <laughs> they're dead like everyone else in the <laughs> They're they're dead just like all the other Zeppelis <laughs> <laughs> those poor Zeppelis huh. what was up with Sandman well, Rocky clearly had a different plan for Sandman at the beginning than he did later on when he became a villain. Like, Sandman, I, you know, he was the first character we saw in Part 7. We learned a lot about, like, his motivations and backstory pretty early on. 
So maybe he was originally going to be a protagonist, but then he changed it into an antagonist. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's very clear that I feel Sandman was intended to be part of like our main like good guy cast, but I think when he decided to switch it into a JoJo series, I guess he kind of scrapped that whole idea and decided to just make Sandman a minion of Funny Valentine. That's kind of disappointing because Sandman was another character. Now that I think about it, that I think we could have gotten more with because he was pretty interesting. And, you know, the way he was doing the race where he was just running it all by foot, that was pretty cool, yeah. too. And they put so much focus on him in the first volume. Yeah, right? I mean, he's the subject of the first chapter. The first chapter is all about him, so. Like, even beyond, like, that, like, in, like, the first stretch of the race, it's pretty much focusing on Sandman and how, like, his crazy, like, running tactics... To, like get to like the head of the race. I guess it's just a consequence of the focus shifting to you know Johnny Moore once the series became a JoJo part. I mean, going off other characters that seemed to get a lot of focus early on, there was like Poco Loco. Yeah, he was another character who like got a lot of emphasis early on, but he does he just completely becomes irrelevant for the rest of the series until yeah, the very like, end. After like the first two volumes, he just disappears and then. We we know that he he's clearly like in the lead for most of the race, mainly because his staying power is like all about luck and stuff. Yeah, but it, they build up like he's gonna be doing something in like this main story, and he just doesn't. Yeah, so there are a lot of characters in part seven, basically that really could have done more with, which is a shame. But part seven yeah. still, part seven still amazing. Yeah. But yeah. there are definitely a lot of characters that you're like, oh man, this guy's so cool and interesting. I really wish, you know, there's more with him. And then you're like at the end of the series and like, oh, guess, guess that's it. Well, yeah. So, yeah, another, Sandman was another character that Rocky clearly changed his mind about what to do with about halfway into writing the story. Uh, why a road roller of all things? You clearly need something heavy and big to smash uh, Jotaro, so... I mean, I think Deal was just very OCD about making sure all the Joestars are dead. (sighs) I mean, at first he wanted to decapitate Jotaro's head with the stop sign. So, I'm not surprised that he found a nearby steamroller and just decided to crush him with it. Hey, hey, like, you know, he's resourceful. Yeah, everyone when they see a steamroller thinks that, hey, I'm going to throw this on my enemy and crush them. Yeah. <laughs> normal. Hey, it's normal for Dio. Yeah. I'm surprised he was able to get it so fast, though. Like, it's probably just lying around. They're probably doing a lot of construction in Egypt. Probably. I guess. Okay. And... Jonathan Stand, would it be called Hermit Purple or The Passion? Uh, well, from what we've seen, it probably was Hermit Purple. The Passion. I think even in, like, data books, they just call it Hermit Purple. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah, well, where does The Passion come from? Is it a reference in the tarot? Oh, it is a tarot card, I think. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay, um... Maybe it would have been a... Maybe it, they could have called it... If, like, Jonathan had 
his own original stand that wasn't Henry Purple, maybe they could have called it the Passion. Yes, I mean he was yeah. a very passionate guy after all. I thought <laughs> I this might be a stretch. I thought I thought maybe like. I couldn't tell if this person was like actually asking like a, a question for for clarity, or if like, or if they were just like, would, would it be called Hermit Purple or the Passion, as in the Passion of the Christ, because thorns <laughs> and vines. Oh, I I don't know. Maybe I I I still think that might be a stretch, though. That's just what I thought. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, that. Does it for Eon Leosite's questions, so we're moving on to questions from the last Soul Reaper. First up, he asks our favorite stand. I think I mentioned in the um in our JoJo's discussion that my favorite stand is pretty much a uh, Enigma, just because I I really I really like that entire fight, and I just I I, I love where Josuke calls him out on his stand abilities, basically call him, calling them calling them crappy. And he just he just goes on like, oh, if, well, if my stand were crappy, could it do this? Oh, if, if my stand were really that crappy, I could it do this. It's just, <laughs> I, 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 I love his ability. Like it, it just it leads to a lot of very like interesting uh, things, uh, uh, visually speaking. And I just thought I just thought it led to a very entertaining fight in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my favorite stand is Foo Fighters, as I've mentioned. Before and in the monk fight, I guess to be brief about it, Foo Fighters is pretty much the only stand that really gets to the point of feeling like a legitimate character, and then I find that like just so enjoyable. Favorite stand? I think I really like Sticky Fingers because of how creative Buccioletti uses it. Also, Metallica is pretty insane. Yeah, Metallica is so cool. Yeah, really cool. I also think that Stone Free, Jolene uses Stone Free really awesomely too. So er- Ernie's kiss is also really useful. Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, t- making cartoon characters come alive, that's pretty awesome. There's just so many cool stuff. That's where a stand I would actually want to have though, I think would be Pearl Jam, because making delicious food that, you know, could cure any health ailments you have, I think that'd just be really useful. Yeah. So then he asks, our favorite JoJo and favorite Joe Bro. <sighs> Man. Well, okay, I guess I guess out of how caught up I am with the series through the anime, I I still I still think that Joseph is still my favorite Joe star. Ne- ne- actually next to I don't I don't know. I'm kind of warming up the Jotaro a little bit now. Um, but I also legitimately do like Jonathan, even though he's not really the most complex character. I think he's the most likable, well, or at least one of the most likable. Um, I guess just real quick, I I feel like I would like Josuke more if he if he were a little more involved, because I feel like maybe he wasn't as involved in the story as as he could have been. That, that that's yeah. just me personally. Um, favorite Joe Bro honestly has to be Paul Narev. All the way. My favorite is Jolene because I think that her character arc was just excellent. She's the first. She's she's the first JoJo that doesn't start out confident in herself and in her abilities, and she grows into being a badass like her predecessors, which is really interesting. Oh, that is interesting. And she has 
a very compelling character arc, and like she's the first one to have a really dynamic character arc. Johnny also has a very dynamic character arc too, but Jolene is the first to have it, and I think she captures the best qualities of her predecessors as and while still being her own individual really well, and that makes her a perfectly great and suitable final protagonist for the original timeline, I think. So, Jolene, to me, is my favorite JoJo, because I just find her the most interesting and the most fleshed out of character. As for her favorite Jobro, Polnareff is a great choice, but Polnareff is freaking hilarious, and he steals parts three, really. Like, it feels like he's doing character parts three because he gets so much focus, but... I mean, I have it has to be Buccioletti because Buccioletti, by that same metric, Buccioletti is what who carries part five. He is the heart of part five. He's the real main character. Yeah, and he is like such a compelling character. Like his story is so great, and like what he and how much pain he's in. As we always joke, Buccioletti is in so much pain. Like he his it's so painful to see him like struggles throughout that part, you know, just try and cling on so they can achieve the, uh, get to the final destination and, like, defeat Diavolo, but it is, he is just such a great character and one of the best in JoJo's, so uh, for me, the best Joe bro is Buccioletti, because he's he's basic, he basically should have been the JoJo himself. (laughs) Yeah, my my favorite JoJo is Johnny Joestar, mainly because I really love his whole character arc, and I find him to be easily the most morally complex JoJo. And, like, Johnny is obviously not a good person by any means. He has done some terrible stuff. But you can really kind of sympathize with his whole struggle, and even though you know that he's not, like, necessarily this great, kind of honorable person like Jonathan was, you still want him to succeed. You still want him to be happy. And then I guess favorite Joe Bro is Buccioletti. For all the reasons Sid said. And yeah, he's pretty much the main character of part five. No one really cares about Giordo. Though <laughs> 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 yeah. Giordo's still better than Fugo, so he has that going for him. <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. Oh, Fugo. So, our favorite villain. Oh, this is actually kind of tough. Because I... Again, as far as as far in as I am, I I I love Dio, but I also really like Kira, and I I feel like I like them both about the same, but for very different reasons. Uh, Dio because he's just such a fun, charismatic, theatrical character. Um, it's it, like anytime he's on screen is always fun. Even e- even even the moments in like Stardust Crusaders where he was mostly shadow were still somewhat enjoyable. Because of the because of the slight build up, uh, but Kira's a great villain in a different way because like whereas D- when Dio feels like a super villain that you'd probably see in like a pro- probably see in a Saturday Saturday morning cartoon maybe I I don't know what kind of Saturday morning cartoon would have a villain like Dio though actually now that I think about it um probably a very deranged one um but it, K- Kira's great because like. Uh, because he he's intimidating because like like because because he he's depicted like a real serial killer 
like he's he's very realistic in the way he's written and depicted um and where his character goes um and it's also very intimidating because like 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 there there are people like him out there so in that way he he feels like a very realistic character yeah my my favorite villain is easily Yoshikage Kira cuz all the other villains of JoJo have all these ambitious dreams all these ambitious goals wanting to like massacre the entire human race or some stuff but no Kira just wants to have an ordinary life where he can just have his precious amputated hands with him at all times and just live happily with them yeah he he just he just wants to date a couple of hands you know there's there's <laughs> nothing wrong with seeing other people yeah exactly Completely ordinary. No, nothing wrong with him. No, not at and all. That's why he's so great. Hey, I mean, I, I I get boners from the Mona Lisa all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. It's completely normal. There's nothing wrong. It's with completely him. natural. He's just your average guy who gets third place in everything intentionally. Well, <laughs> uh, what about you, Sid? My favorite's uh, Poochie because to me, he also is like the most nuanced and and like developed character because his motivations are based in deep regrets and like deep trauma about what happened to him in his past. He, even though he's a follower of Dio, like he's very much pursuing his ambitions like for the sake of what he thinks the world should really be. Because he... Because he made a lot of mistakes in his past that cost him the lives of people he was really he really cared about, and he and that's why he wished that he knew what his actions would have led to, and like what would happen in his life, so he could make peace for it, and he didn't have to suffer like the shock and trauma of the tragedies that happened to him. So Poochie's goal is to remake the world where everyone knows their fate, their entire like life from the very beginning, and they can just live at with peace, knowing what's going to happen in their lives. Like he takes all, he wants to take all the chance, all the surprise, all the bizarreness out of the world. And so Poochie to me is like the ultimate end boss of JoJo's because what he wants and what he stands for is everything counter to what the series fundamentally represents. And that to me is just so fascinating as is him as a character in his own right. As someone who is like really heavily persecuted for his race, who had this like very, complicated relationship with his half-brother and this deep love of his sister that ultimately led in tragedy. And of course, this very implied to be very close relationship with Dio, where they were lovers. So it, it, he's just such an interesting antagonist. And like at time, and I, you can honestly sympathize with him, even though what he does is just so shocking and he like kills like characters you really care about i mean at the same time you kind of sympathize with where he's coming from because of what happened to him in his past but at the same time you also don't want to see him succeed because what he wants is like completely against 
what you enjoy about JoJo's and this world and the universe. So, yeah, Poochie to me is just like the ultimate JoJo's villain. Yeah, Poochie is easily my like second favorite JoJo villain. Just because of like what, like you said, he's very much the anti JoJo. He wants to take all the bizarreness out of JoJo's bizarre adventure. And even beyond that, like, going into part six, you think, like, Poochie's whole goal of it be like, oh, I want to create a world where I can revive Dio. But no, he, he doesn't want to revive Dio or anything. He, he has his own plans, and he's, he's not, like, solely focused on, like, obeying Dio and, like, pretty much following Dio. He has his own purpose, unlike Dio's other kind of subordinates. Which I thought was a really cool thing about him. And he and Dio were, like, equal. Like, Dio saw him as an equal. He respected Pucci, and, like, he was wondering why Pucci... What, if Pucci was up to something, like, why... Whether Pucci would betray him, whether he was really, like, loyal to him. Like, Pucci made Dio question himself and, like, his own feelings for someone else, which was really interesting. Yeah. So, like, I, I, like, Dio gets so much development posthumously in part six because of his relationship with Gucci. That's really fascinating. Like, you actually find out what Dio actually wanted in the entire series in part six. Like, outside of this wig, I want to rule the world stuff. Like, you actually get a legitimate motivation for what he wanted to do in part six. Yeah, but you think of, like, a guy who had died, like, I guess a decade before in this pu- in the publication of the series would just kind of be forgotten at this point, but no, he's still getting developed from his grave. It's like so weird to think about. Yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, Poochie is my favorite. So now our all-time favorite character. This is even tougher. Well, for me, it's between Jolene and Poochie. Like... <sighs> They're my favorites, so I guess if I had to give an edge, it is probably to Jolene, because, like I said, I think she embodies, like, the best of all the JoJo's protagonists, while still being, like, a unique and compelling character in her own right, as well as a rare, like, strong female read in the Shonen Battle series, so that's what I really like about her, so. Yeah, I'd probably have to go with Yoshikaka Kira, just because... He's so different from other villains in JoJo, and he kind of really stands out as this kind of, I guess, an ordinary guy who's kind of taking on the role of this big bad villain, which I, I really like. Hmm. Okay. I I really do have to say I think Paul Nareff is possibly my all-time favorite character so so far. Mm-hmm. Just be just because I feel like I feel like out, out of out of the first four parts, this is just my opinion because I because I know people are going to disagree with me on with on this because I know there are some slight biases against at least one of these characters. Uh, but I feel like Paul Nareff and Koichi have so far have gotten the most development. Yeah, I mean. I, I I would only I would only say I I pick Polnareff over Koichi because I feel like Polnareff is a lot funnier. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I think like Kira as an antagonist got a lot of development too in Part Four. But yeah, yeah I mean, out of the first four parts, like it really Polnareff and Koichi 
really did have the most change in their stories from the beginning to the end of, the, of their respective parts. Whereas everyone else kind of like, it kind of, kind of sort of like more or less stays the same. Yeah. So our favorite part for me, that's Stone Ocean again. Like to me, that's just the ultimate that to me, that's Jojo's at it's most bizarre. It's most creative. It's the culmination of the Joestar deal feud the antagonist of the part is the perfect end boss because what he wants to do is completely destroy the very world and essence of what makes the series what it is. And the protagonist, Jolene, is the best embodiment of all the previous protagonists. So, yeah, I mean, I feel that part six is the most emblematic part of JoJo's for me. And, like, it, it showcases the series at its best. That's why, like, years ago, like, in the Animation Revelation Top 30 Manga Story Arts list, I chose Stone Nation to represent JoJo's, because, to me, I thought that was the part that captures the best JoJo's has to offer between everything it does and all all of its parts. Yeah, I love Stone Ocean a lot. It's my easily my second favorite JoJo part. But my absolute favorite is Part 7, Steel Ball Run. Mainly because it is kind of the ultimate culmination of pretty much bringing in new audiences into JoJo, but also maintaining the original fan base. It has takes like the best elements of Parts 1 through 6, and then takes a big twist on them, changes them up, and kind of creates this narrative that really hadn't been done before in a JoJo part. And uh, that's what I really, really enjoy about it. And yeah, I guess like, I'm trying to think of something that I haven't already said before about this. But uh, I guess like, like I've said before, Araki, I feel at this point, this is where Araki really entered an experimental stage in his career where he's really kind of changing up how he kind of writes and writes Jojo, really. And I, I feel that what he does now with Jojo by experimenting so much, I like it even more than what he was doing previously in the original timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I'm sorry, guys. I really do have to say the part one is my favorite so far. <laughs> Boo. I know. Boo. Send hate mail to Colton. <laughs> yes. Yeah, send it over to manga mavericks at gmail.com. I don't think there's anything wrong with part one. Well, yeah, I mean, well, see here. Well, well, I feel, I feel, I feel bad saying that because I haven't seen all of JoJo's yet. Because I'm stubborn and just want to wait for it all to get animated. Uh, but I, I feel like I tried to explain this in the JoJo's discussion, and I, I'm not sure if I like listening back to it. I'm not sure if I really like explained it very well. But I think I like part one the most because to me it feels the most complete. Because with, uh, I mean, I guess with the exception of. With the exception of part two, which honestly, I think I've liked parts one and two about the same, even though I I do recognize that objectively speaking, part two is a lot better written and is overall, I think, a lot more um, interesting in, in the um, in uh, as, as far as the uh, combat and battles are concerned. But, you know, like, I feel like like because I, I like parts three and four. 
But my problems with part three and four are that, like, I mean, with part three in particular, like, I really do feel like it goes on a little, just a little too long. I feel like it could could have maybe been a little shorter. And that, and I feel like a lot of the characters either, again, like I said earlier, kind of stay more or less the same with the exception of Paul Nareff. And, you know, some of them I even feel like are slightly underdeveloped, like uh, Kakuin and uh, I guess Avdol, only because he was kind of taken out twice and I think kind of halted his development a little bit. Um, and then with part four, I, I like I like a lot. I, I love the fights in part four the most. I can say that for sure. But unfortunately, again, like only one character like one or two characters get any like real development or change and whereas like everyone else kind of stays the same especially Josuke which I really do feel like Josuke so far is actually my least favorite Joestar just because I feel like he is probably I I'd say he's sort of underdeveloped he doesn't really go through a lot of change and his character I feel like isn't really like super interesting I mean he's very he's a very likable character I like I like having him around, but like he his character didn't necessarily grab me at all. So basically, too long didn't read. Part one is my favorite just because I feel like 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 I said, like it just it feels the most complete to me. There there's no aspect of part part one that I feel like could have been explored more, or I felt like was you know unnecessary or. I guess except for except for the middle part of it, which I don't really care for too much, but I feel like that's a legitimate reason as to why I like part one, though, or at least I think it explains why I like part one the most so far. But I'm sure I'm sure when I get to part six and part seven, that'll completely change because no one I've never hear anyone say anything bad about part six or seven or even part eight still. So I'm sure I'm sure when I get to those three, I will like those the most like everyone else. And and I'll finally not be an outlier or an outcast when I say, yeah, part one's pretty good, guys. You must conform to the JoJo fandom's beliefs. <laughs> don't, don't worry, guys. I'll get there soon. I'll be I'll be just like everyone else. I mean, that's a fair perspective to like part one. I mean, it does feel like there aren't as many treads that were not fully explored in part one. To be fair, it's also the shortest part, so there is as yes. much in part one as there are in the other parts. But yeah, yeah, at the same time, like you can argue that all the characters involved did serve their role and you know have a have a use, if not actual, if not actual development. I think Jonathan, you can say, did develop, but yeah, the other characters were well. Speed, speedbag has some. I guess, some, but some, but yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of character development in part one necessarily either. But there is, but still, like for the length of what it was, and for like the amount of story it was telling, like it felt right, and it felt like just enough. So I think that you know it's a fair argument to like part one the best. I mean, uh, to be fair, Speed Speedwagon does get a little development. He, he got a he got a cooler looking hat. Well, let's not develop. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a that's a costume change. Well, that's actually, character changes count as character development. <laughs> 
Well, he he changed his and outfit. Sakura cut, it's, so like Sakura cutting off her hair, just the act of cutting off her hair—that was the character. Well, well to, be, was, to, was be, to be to be to be fair, motivations underlying it. That that no, that was important. It was just her cutting off the hair that was important. Yeah, cutting off her hair is all that mattered. It was. It wasn't like her finally fighting for herself. The context behind it does not matter. All all that matters is that she got a haircut. <laughs> no, actually, actually, now that I think about it, actually. While speed, while Zeppelin's hat does look a lot cooler, it's actually kind of a, it's actually kind of a, um, what do you call it? It's not. It's it's basically the. It's kind of the opposite of an upgrade because like Speedwagon's old hat ter- had blades underneath and he could throw it at people. So actually, it's it's actually not as good, or at least it's not as practical. Yeah, I like the I like the weird uh, spinning metal hat. Yeah, that was actually kind of cool. Razor blades. Yeah, that was cool. He could have used that more often, honestly. Yeah, he really could have. Just uses it in spite of Jonathan. I don't think he uses it after that. Huh, but, you know. We we still love Speedwagon for who he is. Yeah, for being so over the top in his reactions. It's great. Yep. Anyway, uh, if you could have any character stand, which one would you have? Like I said before, I think Pearl Jam is the most practical and useful because to make good food that, you know, would then, like, cure, like, any ailments you had, I think that's just, like, really useful. Like, you can, like, cure your stress, you could cure your back pain, uh, you could cure your toothaches. Like, it's a really good ability to have. You never have to be sick or in pain for long. Hmm. I I feel like um hmm, I don't know I was just thinking about this. I think Crazy Diamond would be a gr- good ability to have. Yeah, it is a good one. I mean, you can fix everything, fix things. That's really good. Yeah, I, I might have to agree with Sid here on Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam seems like it would be a very kind of practical stand. Um, besides that, I guess like. Another stand that I think might be useful would be like Paisley Park from Part 8, Yashuo's stand. Because it's pretty much a GPS for life itself. <laughs> it's like, it gives you like the best course of action and stuff, so. Oh yeah, that's, that is so useful. Like, you don't have to worry about making a bad decision because Paisley Park will help give you the best options. That's really good. Yeah, so I think that would be useful. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, favorite music reference. Mine is easily Dire and Straits, just because I love that Araki had to like split up that reference into two people. <laughs> that and Steely Dan. I like that at the end of parts three in the manga. You know, Joseph Joseph uh, plays Get Back, uh, Get Back from the Beatles, because that's a really good song to close that. Close things off, you know. They didn't use it in the anime, which is a shame. But it also, you know, because lyrically, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Like people mistakenly believe that that song inspired the name of the series, but uh, you know, we know that's not the case, at least from Rocky's own words. But like, it is kind of cool. He like he references it in the manga, and it's like what the song that's kind of playing as you know the characters are walking away, you know, from their from each other, and like. Going home and stuff. So, mm. I like that. 
Uh, I didn't know about that. So, like, like hearing this, it's kind of a shame they didn't use it as like. Um, do you think yeah. they could? Do you think they could have used it as like the ending theme for the second season of Star Wars Crusaders? That would have been nice. I mean, I at least have liked it for the last episode, but the last scene, you know, where they're where you know they're in the airport and, and like Polnareff and Joe Tara Joseph go separate ways, and that's when Joseph starts playing the song, and like that's. To me, that that would have been a great moment to do it. Like, but, yeah, yeah. It's too bad they couldn't get it for you know at least one episode. But. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess my favorite music reference would be uh the f- just the fact that Kira's stand is called Killer Queen and has a power called Bites the Dust. Yeah, I don't like listen to a bunch of music or anything. I do love Queen as a band and Freddie Mercury, so. Yeah. So that does it for the questions from the last Soul Weaver. So now we move on to some questions from Sanchez Knights. All right. So uh, let's let's rank our favorite parts in order first. So for me, that would be Stone Ocean is my number one, and then after that would be Steelable Run, Diamonds Unbreakable, Jojolian. Uh, Venta or Rio, Stardust Crusaders, Battle Tendency, and then last would be Phantom Blood. Hmm. Okay, mine would be, uh, number one, part seven, Steelball Run, then, uh, Stone Ocean, Jojo Lion, uh, Diamond is Unbreakable, uh, Stardust Crusaders, Battle Tendency, Vento Oreo, and then Phantom Blood at the bottom. Oh, this is really tough for me. Um, well, we all know I like part one the most. <laughs> um, uh, if I had to pick a second, I actually don't know if I would put. See, this is this this just this is this is the reason why I don't have them ranked yet is because, again, like I said, neither of. Like like the like the other half of what I've seen so far doesn't feel complete. So, and plus for me it's very it's for me it's very hard to like separate parts one and two because they because they feel the most connected. So I feel like I'm gonna cheat and say that I I like part both parts one and two about the same. Um, and then I think if basically it just comes down to whether I like part three or part four the most. Uh, compared to each other, and I, I really would have to say, just in terms of the battles, I really do have to say that I think part four would probably be my third favorite out of the four, and then part three being at the bottom, just because, just because I think overall part three, in terms of a few aspects here and there, kind of feels like a demo reel, basically of what Araki would have basically perfected upon in part four. Yeah, that's fair. I I do want to emphasize that I, I do not dislike part three, even though I, even though I do think if if I if I had the power I would fix a few things in part three, but part three is part three is still fun. And I still enjoy it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I both Reload and I also like part four more than part three, though I don't like parts one and two as much as part three. I forget if Reload ranked uh, part two over part three. No, I, I put part three over part two. Yeah, so I I, I find Sardis Crusaders fun. I like its episodic, uh, stand of the week format, 
and I like all the stand fights and like I think there are a lot of fun ones in there. I do like the core crusaders themselves, even if you know Avdol and Cochran could have done a little, could have gotten a little more to do at times. But in general, I just thought I just had a lot of I just had a lot of fun reading Stardust Crusaders and Battle Tendency and Phantom Blood. I really love too, but I just think that there's just so much more in Stardust Crusaders, especially in that back half that I just gotta put those it over those. I see. It's weird. I'm actually kind of torn because like. I, I do like some of the a, a lot of the fights in part three, but like we were discussing in our JoJo discussion that um, that you know a lot of part three's fights basically come down to oh well it, it, like I feel like infamously with Yellow Temperance Jotaro's just like wait I could just punch the stand user yeah I, either that or like <laughs> I feel like some of the fights in part three basically come down to. Okay, we we need to win this fight to basically further the plot. Whereas I feel like um I like overall I don't feel like part 3 has as many like uh th- there's not as much like um I guess battle of wits going on in part 3 as there is in part 2, which is why I probably which is why I still think yeah, you know, the addition of stands, you know, makes the like it makes the fighting more interesting, but at the same time Araki hasn't really like perfected stand fights at this point because he's still kind of like he's still kind of learning how to write them at this point so they haven't been perfected yet the concept of them is still a lot cooler than Hamon but I will say that I feel like um a lot of the a lot of the fights in um in part two are a lot more interesting just because there's there's a again there's there are more battle of wits going on in in part two comparatively I think yeah, but there's also just some really memorable fights in parts three. This you is do true. Have kind of one of the ultimate game of chicken in this in Jotaro's battle with Darby, where he literally just bluffs his way for a victory with that one. And the same kind of deal with the other battle with the Darby with the second Darby rudder. I still find that amazing. They just bullshits both of them. <laughs> and then a lot of the fight, the final fights are so intense, like each yeah. matchup. Uh, fights with Vanilla Ice and of course Dio. So there's just so much like in that back half of Stardust Crusaders. There's just so much great stuff going on in there. Yeah, and I just do like the cast so much that uh, I, I do kind of have to put it over parts two and one when I think about it and like how much I enjoyed it. See, see, essentially in my case, like there's 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 this trade off, like. There's more going on, I guess, intellectually speaking, with with uh, with the with some of the fights in part with in part two, where like, okay, how is he gonna? How's Joseph gonna get out of this situation? Whereas, again, like I said, the concept of stands in part three make the fight make the fights, I guess, give the fights infinitely more like potential uh, in the way they can be written and uh, and won or lost. But again, like I said, uh, Iraqi is still. Like he he's 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 still kind of working some kinks out, so there's a lot of the fights are very far from perfect in my opinion. So it's it's it, it was it's it's a, it's a very hard decision for me to make. But yeah, like I said, I think yeah, part two for me wins over part three. But I do recognize that part three has more going on. Okay, so next is uh, the question I'm sure we've all been waiting for: What would be our original stand? For me, my original stand, I think, 
I mean, there's a lot of ideas I have for this, but off the top of my head, my idea would be love is a boomerang. I'm sure <laughs> those who know me will probably get the reference and will find that choice of song title hilarious. But yes, yeah, so uh, love is a boomerang where if I do a good deed for someone, they will later on do a, a, a good deed for me, which will be uh, tr- which will be twice as helpful as what I did for them. Hmm, okay, that sounds interesting. I guess uh, I, I've actually put a lot of thought into this, um, but I think it was. Um, I need you guys to clarify something for me. So, what is what 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 exactly is um, part eight? Joe's K's uh, standability. Like, what does it do? They take away attributes from things, so it can take away sound from things. It can take away friction. Uh, it could also it can also like take an object and put it inside a bubble. So pretty much it takes away things. Yeah. Okay, because um I my, my my idea for my stand is it's it's kind of it's kind of the same idea but uh but executed a little differently. Um my my stand would be Street Player. Uh Street Player being possibly my favorite song performed by Chicago. I Chicago along with Rush is probably one of my favorite bands of all time uh, for being completely honest i really like their i really like their music a great fusion of like classic rock and jazz if you haven't listened to them you should but uh <clears throat> yeah I, I've, I've always wanted to see a standability that like kind of tampers with people's sense of touch whereas like uh, i guess for example like you know if uh you can mess with somebody's sense of touch to the point where like say it starts it starts to rain and like uh, you know if the rain touches you it feels more like acid rain than like than just normal rain you know s- stuff like that or you know kind of basically uh, taking soft and wet's ability to take away friction and kind of exploring that aspect of that ability uh to a bigger extent uh cuz uh, street player's ability would also kind of have the ability to you know, again, messing with people's sense of touch, sort of take away, uh, sort of take away friction, and uh, making people kind of slip and slide all over the place and whatnot. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'd have for my own stand. Um, I haven't really thought about this before, to be honest. <laughs> like, Okay, just to give up, give like some random name. We'll go with "Stranger," the Billy Joel song. Okay. Um, but I guess I'd have it based on the name. I guess it would have it be like kind of like a stealth kind of stand where like the stand pretty much hides my entire presence and like you can't like I'm pretty much nullified from everyone's like five senses. So like, let's say if I wanted to like stab someone. Like they would get wounded, but they wouldn't feel they wouldn't feel getting stabbed, and they wouldn't know who stabbed them. Huh. Huh. So it'd be like complete invisibility. That's cool. I could I could see that as something being used in JoJo. Uh, just to expand on my uh, my ability for uh, love is a boomerang. Also, if someone does something bad to me, something twice as bad is going to happen to them. But it also worked both ways. So if I did something bad to somebody, something twice as bad would happen to me. Okay. So, like it, it's a two-way thing. Like if something, someone does something 
good for me, something twice as good will happen to them. If I do something good for someone, something twice as good will happen for me. And then it also works the same way for if bad things happen. Hmm, okay, okay. So basically, the love goes around in a boomerang. It all comes back. Wow, that's, that's, that's a nice metaphor. Well, we should move on or I'll start singing Love is a Boomerang. So anyway, <laughs> uh, please don't. The, discuss the themes of the different parts. Part one, I think, is about doing the honorable thing, doing what's right, and uh, even if someone has wronged you, you still try to do right by them. And then you also should stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And basically, you know, it's all about honor and justice. Uh, part two, Battle Tendency, that is about using your wits to survive and to overcome what seems like insurmountable odds. Or it's about the importance, I don't know if it's about that and more than the other parts, but like the importance of uh, of family and then and like inheriting the will of your predecessors and uh, keep carrying, keeping the legacy alive. Like, I, I would argue that survival is kind of the bigger theme of part two. Okay. Uh, for Stardust Crusaders, I think it's about the journey, about treasuring like the adventure you have with your friends and like taking in all the experiences you have on your adventure. Keeping like treasuring it because, you know, eventually you will all have to go your separate ways because the journey will last forever and your friends won't always be around. I, I thought it was about just punching people good. <laughs> Well, yeah. but I guess I guess that works too. Punching people. <laughs> Stardust Crusaders teaches you that punching solves all your problems, <laughs> and yeah. stopping time. Stopping time also solves all your problems. Yeah. Part four is about working together as a community to root out evil that is plaguing your community. To band together as a community to fight off something that threatens. The community. Basically community. Yeah. Part five is about, again, being a close group, like working together to achieve something better for the future. Or, like, it's about coming from poor backgrounds or poor childhood childhoods, working to make sure that no one suffers the same bad things you've experienced in your lives and trying to work together with others who share the same beliefs and dreams as you to reform your community and make things safer for the next generation. Uh, part six is about accepting that life is not predetermined, that your life is not predestined to go anywhere, that you can make of it what you choose to. And you, and that anyone, even the, even a, ch a weak child 
that has the power to change the world. Literally. Literally, yes. Uh, Steel Ball Run. Oof, Steel Ball Run is heavy. I'd say Steel Ball Run is about kind of the journey of life. And, I guess, I, I, I like to say redemption in a way. Yeah, I think it's about redemption. It's also about not letting your past regrets consume you and moving forward with your lives and not being weighed down by what's hanging over you in your past. Living for the future. Living for the future, not living to resolve the problems of the past. Uh, and Jojolian is about fa- it's, it's also about family, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's about family. Like, I'd say not even just, like, regular family, just even, like, metaphorical family. Those around you, the people who you love, like, kind of that sense of, like, family community. Yeah, you should you should treasure the connections you make in life because they will, they will help you later on in life. And they will come back. I guess aside from that, though, um, uh, I guess learning to understand yourself. Yeah, understanding yourself is another big one. Figuring out who you are as an individual and not ha- and not defining yourself by how others define or look at you, or or by your past, or or by your past, or by who you were. Like it's about who you are now, who you are now, and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. So I think those were pretty descriptive. I think uh, for the teens, I think we were a little accurate there. I, I hope. I think so. Next is our favorite moment in any of the parts. That's a loaded question. Oh god. Uh. Um. Okay. Well, I probably I probably listed a few of them off in the in our JoJo's discussion. Um. I can't think of like my my all time favorite moment. That's a tough one. Um. I guess just to give off like a few a few like dumb answers. Um. Uh. One of my favorite things about uh. Part one, aside from Dyer, you know, not not basically ignoring Jonathan's warnings completely. I, the, the one of the moments that always makes me laugh is um, when when uh, when Jonathan cuts Dio in half. <laughs> Dio's just like, "No, get off me!" And then he's in the middle of his monologue. He's like, "Oh wait, I gotta I gotta like uh, uh, sync myself up here a bit because he's like just a little off center." Uh, in the middle of his face, I I like how he kind of puts himself back together in the middle of his monologue. That always gets a laugh out of me. Um, Rohan punching a kid's always great. Um, I think that is an essential Rohan moment. Uh, <laughs> again, like I said, literally ten minutes straight of me just dying on the floor after watching that. Uh, God, I, I know there are a few more of them it, here. What 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 are some of your guys' favorite moments in JoJo? So for part one, I think my favorite moment would actually be when Poco risked his life to go into the uh, dungeon thing where Jonathan is trapped with uh, Bluford, I think. Yeah, yeah. like we said, that that's a very underrated moment. Yeah, so he goes in there and re- to rescue, uh, to help open the door so uh, Zeppelin's B-Wagon can get in and help Jonathan. So I thought that was a good that was a good moment. Like, I like seeing, like, characters who don't really have any special abilities or are particularly strong try and risk themselves or try and help be helpful in whatever way they can and them actually having an impact. In part two, 
I think the moment I like best is, pro- of course, probably Caesar's like final acts uh, when he, you know, he's like killed by Wanton and like before he dies, like he like does one last effort and he grabs the ring off Wong's lip and he encase and he uses the last of his hamon to encase it in a blood soaked bubble. I mean, it's a bubble of his own blood and. You know, he puts the ring in there and hit and his bandana, and it's like that is like a powerful moment. As is, you know, when Lisa, Lisa, and Joseph walk in on the scene, and like they finally notice that his corpse is under like the cross shaped stone slab that fell from the ceiling, and like Lisa, and like they their composure breaks down, and like they, they start crying, and that is just so heartbreaking, especially you know. In, in, Leading up to it, like Lisa Lisa is trying to, you know, act tough and act cool. And like he's, but John Joseph notices that her cigarette is, she's trying to smoke her cigarette backwards. And like, you see, like, it's really affecting her too. And even like they notice Caesar's body and like you see their faces and the, and the tears and the screaming. It's like, oh man. Yeah, that's a good moment. That's like one of the most powerful death scenes in the series. And then, um, parts three. That's again probably a sacrifice scene, like Iggy's final sacrifice to like save Polnareff, and then you know Polnareff defeating the Lanais, and the, and then like seeing the ghosts of Abdal and Iggy float up into the clouds. I thought that was just yeah, scene. yeah, that's pretty much I mean, my favorite too. Of course, you know Jotaro like bluffing the shit out of Darby is great too, but like the the scene that's more powerful for me is of course a sacrifice. And in part four, to me it is when Hayato manages to outwit Kira and like get him to undo bites the dust. That's just so satisfying. Because like that bites the dust portion is like my favorite part of the entire series. And so, like, I was, like, so enthralled by the whole thing. It was, like, just so satisfying when Hayato manages to, like, get one over on Kira and, like, save the day, basically. I just want to... Getting... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I wanted to interject real quick while we were talking about part four. I think my favorite part four moment is probably when um, when uh, Jotaro basically beats the crap out of Kira for the first time. And then basically acknowledges Koichi, uh, sort sort of as an equal, and gives him that final smile right before he uh, falls to the ground. I always thought that was a great moment for Jotaro. That's another great moment. And part five, I think it's it's clearly when Fugo leaves. <laughs> actually, actually, I do like that scene. Honestly. <laughs> Like, I actually legitimately like the scene where, like, Bouchaletti is rallying everyone, we need to go and defeat Diablo, and, like, Fugo's like, no, I can't do this, sorry, and, like, they leave him behind, but, like, they escape, you know, King Crimson, and, like, I actually do really like that scene, but I I do want to say probably Bouchaletti's sacrifice in Part 5, again, is probably another one of the most powerful scenes uh, in the series. Also, Trish, you know, activating Spice Girl is really good moment, too. Part six, it's definitely, like, Jolene's... <laughs> they're all sacrifices, but Jolene's sacrifice. You know, the finals... The sequence where, like, Coochie is basically killing everyone. And, like, Jolene, like, sacrifices herself to help Emporio escape. 
and like that that's like another great heroic moment and uh, of course Foo Fighters is like final words to Jolene before she dies too that's another you're gonna make me cry now (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh god Foo Fighters part 7 is real man's world like yeah like the final words that uh oof What's his name? How can I forget? Ringo wrote again. Ringo wrote again. How can I forget his name? This is one of the best fights in the series, but like the final words that Ringo wrote again says to Zeppeli, welcome to the real man's world. Like, that's just such a great cap off to that fight. Like, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, going going off another part seven, I guess really good moment is that part seven has one of the shortest chapters in this entire series. A five page chapter where it's pretty much entirely Gyro trying to make a Seven Days of the Week song. And yeah. it's just such a weird song, because he starts it off with, like, Italian, and then it just turns into this weird, like, stupid ramble about drinking and mixing sugar with random stuff and then sleeping. <laughs> and, like, Johnny's just looking at him, just like, Gyro, are, are you okay, man? It's like, it, it's... It's hard to describe because it's so weird, but it's hilarious. Yeah. And uh, part eight so far. The, oh, the beetle fight. Yeah. Oh, the beetle fight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the beetle fight. Uh, also, I don't know if there's another one like I can definitely. That's like definitely on the same like line of memorability for me. I mean, I guess, I guess a recent one that I found really like funny is the one where, like Joe Joe like fighting this kind of money stand, and he kind of gets possessed by it, and like they kind of go through this whole like big lore about this stand about how it's like from ancient times and no one knows the user, and Joe has to like find the user, and Joe all like, yeah, screw that, I'm just gonna give this to someone and then walk away. I'm not gonna find the stand user. It's your problem. <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. Yeah. So I think that those are basically my favorite moments and our favorite moments on every part. Next up was a question we used in our manga fight. Best use of a useless power. Do you guys want to go into it further? Or do you have anything else that hadn't been addressed in the manga fight? Or I'm not even sure if I remember what I said, if anything. I guess I'll stick with the sun simply because it's hard for me to think of a stand that's truly useless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember agreeing with that pretty much. You have one, Sid? Um, useless power. I mean, the sun, again. It's just a great moment. Yeah, it's just so hard because, like, none of the stands are, like, completely useless. Yeah, Even if they true. sound useless at first. Oh, I, I think that the, uh, oh, what do they call it again? Uh, oh, Superfly. Superfly is pretty, that, that guy was pretty creative on how he could trap people in Superfly. So he, because, like, he's, Superfly pretty much has him trapped in it, but, like, the way he was able to use it to his advantage to, like, you know, give Joske a hard time is pretty cool, too. Yeah, I guess. Like, it's, it's like one of the worst stands you could have because you're basically stuck in this transition tower, but like, you know, he was able to do interesting stuff, use it in an interesting way just because he knew it so well. 
Uh, let's see. Best idea for crossover with another manga. This is tough because I'm not. I feel like I feel like any manga that JoJo crosses over with, I feel like JoJo would kind of take it over. Yeah, I think that an obvious one would be Yu Yu Hakusho x Diamond is Unbreakable because they are very similar in tone series. And didn't they also run at the same time too? Yeah. They basically did. I mean, Yu Hakusho was started a couple of years before, but they were they did run around at the same time for okay. a little while. Uh, okay, I remember. I was actually thinking about this earlier. I think um, I think actually an interesting one might be JoJo and Bleach, just because uh, Bleach kind of has that sort of the same idea where like their powers manifest into different entities. And Bleach's powers are even more bullshit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe that could lead to something interesting. Probably wouldn't be all the way great, but it, it would be kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, any other ones? Let's see. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if there are any that would, like, really work. Well, like I said, I think it's hilarious for just in Okuyasu to be in Shibuya, you know, someone have crazy reactions to food but uh ooh okay i feel like an easy one would be i'd like to see maybe battle tendency crossover with gintama i know it probably oh yeah that would be great i i i mean joseph and gin are they're not completely the same character but they have a lot of the same attributes and they're both sukida so that's another thing yeah so that would be uh, that would be pretty funny yeah Okay, so I guess we'll move on. Beyonds or stands? Now, beyonds is something that was introduced in uh, George Osa, right? Yeah, so beyonds are like, for I understand, they're kind of like stands that are beyond time and space. So what would be classified as beyond would be like Made in Heaven or Gold Experience Requiem. Okay, so basically it's like a Requiem stand? It's a stand that's pretty much immune to, like, time and space. Okay. That sounds OP. Yeah, I mean, none of the villain's powers work on them, then. So I guess beyonds, because you wouldn't be affected by any of the time-based powers. I really want to read George Joster, because there's just some really weird stuff in this. Like, apparently there's a Made in Heaven Requiem. How more overpowered could Made in Heaven be? Dang. In a requiem form. <laughs> Made in heaven requiem. That is, that does sound insane. Dang. Yeah, like, I, I just want to imagine how this all plays out. Because it just seems insane. That sounds like something they would have came up with for Eyes of Heaven. Yeah, like, I don't know, it, it just seems so weird and so amazing at the same time. Let's see. Best villain moment. I think, for me, it's probably... When Kira is, there's so many great Kira moments, so it's hard, but when Kira is, like, just going to this one couple's apartment, and, like, he just starts, like, ranting to this chick, and she's, like, utterly terrified, he makes her cut his nails, and, like, he gives her earrings with her boyfriend's ears attached to them, like, (laughs) it's pretty great. Uh, Also, you know, when Kira, you know, is acting all confident and stuff after, you know, he basically gets a Requiem stand before Requiem stands when he gets bites at us. So, 
Yeah, I mean, he, when you, after his, like, change in appearance afterwards and, like, his total attitude and, like, how, like, completely, like, confident and cocky he is and, like, how he, like, horrifies Hayato is, like, pretty great, like, villain, like, moment in here for him because like that's a like with bites the dust like he feels like so in control you gotta wonder like oh my god like how are they gonna defeat this guy like he's insane like kira i, I even though poochie is my favorite i can't deny kira probably has some of the most memorable moments in the series yeah that's true yeah i, I kind of agree, agree with sid on all of those moments well, I feel like I should give Dio some love here because I think um, one of my f- one of my favorite moments in part one with Dio is uh, when the mansion's on fire and um, Dio has to Dio wants to get to the top level of of the mansion, but you know basically everything's on fire, so he's just like, okay, I'll just just walk up the wall, and he just struts while he walks up the wall, and it's pretty amazing. Second nomination easily being goodbye Jojo. Those are both probably two of my favorite Dio moments. <laughs> oh, that that and the road roller. Oh yeah, the road roller. I guess another Dio moment would be from uh, one of the part six flashbacks where we're kind of discussing like Poochie and Dio's whole plan about achieving heaven, and Dio is kind of going on this like speech about it, like the tr- real victors are the ones who will achieve heaven. I will be the one to achieve it no matter how much I have to sacrifice. And I feel just like such an impacting moment because you kind of are starting to realize how much of like a big master plan Dio really had. Like compared to like just hunting down the Joesters, like that that's like just such a small task compared to what he had planned, which is just so cool to think about. It seems like a really interesting like culmination of everything up to that point. Yeah, definitely. So, let's move on to the weirdest moment. What was the weirdest moment you thought in JoJo's? I think for me it's Kakio and Zrero where he's like <laughs> licking the ball, licking like that cherry or whatever. Like that's a weird moment. Obviously the snails raining from the sky. Or no, not the snails, like the rainbow that turns people into snails. That's, a, that's of course probably the most bizarre moment. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go with the rainbow snails. Because that's just so weird. I think I already mentioned in the manga fight that I think the weirdest moment for me in JoJo so far was that moment where you see Ghost Photograph Dad riding a crow in the air with an arrow (laughs) in hand. And that was just kind of that's just kind of the moment where I had to like kind of kind of had to pause the episode and just kind of like think about my life for a while (laughs) and think about my life up to that point and be like. You know, JoJo's is pretty fucking weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Final question. Plot holes in various parts. I feel like the biggest one that people point to is Dio's actual return to Stardust Crusaders. Yeah, how do you get in the coffin if, if like, Erina rode out on it? In the Eyes of Heaven, from the little I've read read of it, they mentioned that Dio thought that Arina put him in the coffin. Like, everything from the explosion of the ship to him, like, being opened up in the coffin is all, like, a blur to him. So, <laughs> oh, that, that's one. Uh, the thing is, though, is that Arina would never put him in the coffin. 
Like, why would she do that? That's 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 one way to write that off, I guess. <laughs> what a cop out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my theory personally is that once Dio got in the water, since he doesn't need oxygen or anything, Arida obviously did not take the coffin with her when she left, like the ocean. So once the kind of coffin sunk, Dio kind of like found the coffin. His body kind of subconsciously crept into the coffin and just sealed him away. Yeah. So it kind of was like a last-ditch effort by his body to survive. Okay. I've seen people theorize that um, that maybe Dio had another coffin with him, which I guess that could work, but sure. But then how did he get into the coffin, though? Because, like, he, would he have enough time to kind of finish off Jonathan's head, attach to his body, and then quickly run to the nearest coffin? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think I kind of like your explanation a little bit more, because I feel like that probably makes the most sense. I guess it makes about as much sense as anything else in JoJo. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, he's Dio, and he can survive anything because he's Dio, so... Yeah, I, I mean, nothing can really kill Dio. Um... I don't know if it's a plot hole, but I've seen people point out that um, that maybe Dio should have used his vampire powers in his fight with jo- with uh, Jotaro. I think he just felt that it would be kind of useless g- compared to just like relying on the world. Yeah, especially since Joseph was there, and Joseph was a Ripple Master at that point. That's true. I feel like it kind of makes sense for Dio to maybe uh, maybe get a big head at some point. And just think, oh yeah, like uh, who who needs all these other powers when I have the world? I can just I can just use this. Like I could I could totally see him being super overconfident in his abilities. I guess saying that is also kind of weird that like he'd be overconfident in his abilities, but also still kind of very very uh, careful when dealing with the Joe Stars. So I mean, now that I think about it, the only power of his, like, from his vampire form that I can think of that would be useful is maybe the eye lasers. And even that, they know how to deflect that now. Yeah. So, would it really be useful? Well, I, oh, I don't know. Uh, we don't We don't know if Joseph always carries shot glasses with him. He could probably break into a store nearby and get them. P- probably, I guess, yeah. Actually, that would be, I would I would have loved it if, like, Dio tried to use that against Jotaro. And Jotaro's just like, oh yeah, my grandpa told me about this. <laughs> and just, just just brings out his own shot glasses. We always keep shot glasses with us in the Joestar family. Just for these occasions. We just carry them down just in case something like this happens. It's our second Joestar technique. <laughs> I mean, I guess in terms of other plot holes, um, the only other ones I can really think of are like... Giorno not showing up in Stone Ocean despite being hyped up several times. It's not a plot hole so much as, like, why didn't you just do that? Yeah. Like, a plot hole would be something, like, that's not explained. But, like, Araki did explain that Giorno was just probably somewhere else. And, like, that that's reasonable. It makes sense. But... Okay. Yeah, I guess another one that would be Part 7, where... We early on they kind of established like once like once like a corpse part is like defused from your body, you're supposed to lose your stand. Hmm. But when Diego and Johnny lose their 
lose, like, their corpse parts, they still retain their stands. And, like, Araki never really explains why that is. I mean, I I always assumed it was kind of, like, the fact that they had evolved their stands further than their initial state. So once they kind of remove the holy corpse from their body, like, it was less bound to the corpse part and more bound to their body at that point. But it's never really explained if that's true or not. Because Gyro does have a stand at one point, and then he loses it when he takes out his corpse part and gives it to Lucy. Yeah, that, that's also something that could have been extrapolated upon. Hmm. There's probably, like, plenty more. There's probably a lot more, but they're just uh, coming to my head. I'm not sure if I can really think of any more that, like, really stood out to me at all. Okay. Well, that does it for, I think, the questions from Sanchez Knights and our questions from Reddit. Thank you, guys. But now we have some questions from Ferris Halala on Twitter. Hi, Ferris. Now, some of his questions are repeats of stuff that we've, that have been asked before. But one that hasn't, uh, what did you think of Poochie's ideals? As I've said before, I think Poochie was an incredible end boss for part six. And if the series ended at that point for the series as a whole, because what he wanted to do was a wary against the wary nature of the world of JoJo's itself and what the series itself was. And I thought that was really cool. That was really interesting, especially since his motivations were based in such deep personal regrets that you honestly could find him sympathetic, even though his methods and actions are just so reprehensible. Yeah. Pretty much, I agree with everything you said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next question. Did you guys enjoy Johnny as a protagonist? He's referring to Johnny Joe Star, protagonist of Part 7 here. Yes, I did. Johnny is a great protagonist, my second favorite after Jolene. He has a great character arc, and he's very unlike other JoJo's, not only in terms of his physical condition, what with being, you know, crippled and whatnot, but also because he... Unlike other Jojo's, he doesn't really have that innate sense of justice at the start. But he grows to have it after, you know, being influenced by Gyro. And, you know, later on, you know, during his experiences in the journey of the series. So, you know, Johnny has a great character arc. And, like, he's really, really fascinating. And it is kind of a shame that he gets such a raw deal in his life. Yeah. But... Yeah, Johnny's a great protagonist, one of the best in the series. Yeah, I mean, Johnny's my favorite JoJo for a reason. I mean, part seven is very much about the journey, and Johnny is kind of, like, the big focus of that journey and showing how he kind of develops from this very, like, depressed, I guess, insecure kind of character who's very much kind of very down on his life, doesn't really have any hope, and kind of becomes a hero of sorts and really kind of learns to really kind of stop feeling so depressed about himself and all the regrets and all the mistakes he's done in his life and kind of move forward with it. Mm -hmm. How did you find the treatment of the alternate universe Joestar bloodline and theories on the main villain? So the bloodline, the Joestar bloodline on part, in part seven, uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely not treated as nicely as the original bloodline. But, you know, they, uh, the, the, both Johnny and Josuke are very interesting characters. And, you know, their heritage and the basic 
lore of their families, of the Joestar family in the SBR universe is pretty interesting in how different it is from the original timeline. As far as the main villain goes, this was a question that uh, Eon Neosite had asked us before, like who we thought the villain of the series is going to be for this new universe. Wait, so for part eight or like overall? Both, I guess? I mean, the main villain overall is clearly Jesus. <laughs> Let's face it, he's kind of not a good person. He sided with Valentine and let him be blessed by his powers, and then he kind of screwed over Johnny, so. Jesus is not a good person, according to Rocky. Yeah, maybe Jesus will be the antagonist of Part 9 or something, who knows? And then, I thought it, it was Jesus, but it was actually Dio's corpse from oh the other god, universe. Dio is Jesus in the SVR universe, that'd be hilarious. That would be so amazing. Like, with Poochie's last ounce of strength, he decided to make that new universe that was being created by Emporio to just have Dio Jesus. Wow. Amazing plot twist, 10 out of 10. That sounds like something that could happen, actually. Though I, I would have, I, I thought it'd be a lot funnier if maybe like Dio and Jesus just kind of like teamed up, and they were just, they just kind of became buds. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought that would be a thing, but the problem is that it seems like the Brando bloodline in SBR is kind of dead. Oh. Like it's not coming back. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, but I still think. I still think from from the little I know of Part Six and Poochie that Vlord's idea I think maybe could happen. <laughs> I would love if it happened. D- Dio could be Jesus. Sounds like it makes sense. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, so the whole like, I guess Joe Star family bloodline thing in the SBR, SBR universe is really confusing to explain. At least, I mean. When you read it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But, I mean, I guess my only problem with how it's treated is that I, I'm kind of disappointed that we kind of skip all the way from Johnny down to where Josuke is. We don't get to relive, like, the jo- Joseph Joestar stuff. I mean, I think that would be kind of cu- cool, at least, because it clearly would have happened differently from how it happened in in the original timeline, because stands are there earlier... Johnny died a very different way and all that stuff. So yeah, I guess that's kind of disappointing. But I do find it interesting that there are still a lot of mysteries behind it. And then, like, we have stuff like how the Holly married into the Kira family and all that stuff instead of the Cujo family. And then, like, we don't even know how many kids Holly actually had. Because we know that the Nishimura made for the Higashikatas was actually... Like, Kira's sister, I think. So, there, there's still a big mystery of, like, what, did Joseph actually have only one kid? Was it only Holly? And how many kids did Holly even have? Could there be, like, a bunch of other kind of Kiras that we don't know about? So, I, I think there's still a lot of, like, mysteries in the SBR, like, kind of Joestar bloodline. And I guess main villain-wise, it, it's... I guess if we're going from part eight villain, it's Jobin probably. And then yeah, main villain overall is Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next question. Thoughts on the moral ambiguity of part eight's Kira. 
I mean, part of Kira is basically also Jotaro in one. Kira yeah. and Jotaro in one. So, from the flashback, it didn't... He, he seemed like an okay guy. He didn't seem like... A, he was more like Jotaro than Kira, to me. So, he was not, like, completely a great guy, but he was also not bad. I mean, the thing is that when, like, at the beginning of Jojo Line, they make it seem like Kira is, like, very much like the Kira we knew in Part 4. He was, like, not a good person. He was kind of, like, he had, like, this ordinary life, but it was, like, kind of creepy. But it really just seems that he kind of was just a bad person to bad people. And, like, because when we see the eventual flashback with him and Joseph Fumi, he very much acts like Jotaro. Like, Holly gets sick. Then Jotaro, like, I guess, Yoshikage Kira kind of tries to figure out a way to, like, get his mother well again. He finds Josefumi, they team up, and all that stuff. And I guess from, I, I, I'm i fine with how it's treated, simply because it's very much established that he's Jotaro. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine with it. I think it would be funny, though, if, like, it turns out, like, Josefumi had, like, a brother or something that is called Jotaro Kujo, and he's, like, a literal Yoshikage Kira. Like, he does, like, the exact same stuff that Yoshikage Kira did in the original timeline. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that Purdy Kira, if we're going from, what, how Josuke's made up, Purdy Kira is very much the stand that Josuke has, and then, I guess attachment to Holly that Josuke still feels in his body, while Josefumi's completely the rest of it. Like, it's very clear there's more Josefumi in Josuke than there is Yoshikage Kira. Yeah. So, Party Kira was an interesting character, but he's definitely unlike the Kira and the Jotaro that he had seen from previous parts. And... That's basically it for the questions that we haven't answered before. Uh, there are other questions that Ferris had asked us that we kind of had already covered. But I hope we gave some satisfying answers to the questions that we answered. Uh, and finally, we have our last person from Facebook, uh, Lord's friend Eaton, who has a few questions for us. First is, what do you think would have happened if Jolene had stopped the reboot? Well, we would have been we would have been denied uh, part seven steel ball run. Yeah, so it'd yeah. Be interesting where the uh, series would have gone from there. If Jolene had outright defeated Pucci. Um. Okay. So Anasui would find a way to get let Jotaro let him marry Jolene. We'd still be crying over Foo Fighters. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. Hamporio goes to school or something instead of hiding in a women's prison. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure what would happen. Like, I guess... I mean... I think, like, something like... Part 8 could still... Like, some sort of different interpretation of Part 8 could still work. Yeah. It would be said in in the modern Mario, and it probably would be not about Josuke. No, maybe about an older Josuke would appear, but it'd probably be about Josuke's son. Yeah, J- J- Josuke, Josuke has a son, and then uh, Giorno also also has a daughter who takes after <laughs> Dio, more so than her father no, does. No, Koichi, Koichi and Yukaku would have had a daughter. Josuke's female love interest in Part 8 is 
<laughs> is a Hirose, so. And that's how Yashuo was born. Yeah. Oh. Yashuo okay. is the daughter. Do- Yashuo will. In this alternate universe, part eight we're imagining would be the daughter of Koichi and Yukako. I see what what I was what I was going for was I think it'd be interesting if like two of the Joe stars had had offspring, but like one of them be like a full bred Joe star and the other be uh be born from Giorno who is you know who is who is the son of technically Dio and Jonathan, so he's not like yeah. a he's not a complete full purebred Joe star. So I I thought it would have been interesting to have like. Have like a fight in the in the family, maybe. Yeah, that would've been cool. Yeah, well, I mean, there 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 was a lot he could still have done with the original timeline if he, Rocky really wanted to. But yeah, it's hard to think about because there's like infinite possibilities. Pretty much. Yeah. But it's 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 all. I guess it's kind of thanks to editorial meddling that uh, unfortunately, part. I think I think it's. Partly due to that, that part six maybe ended the way it did. Maybe. But I'm pretty sure, from what both Sid and V-Lord are telling me, it seems like maybe Araki sort of had that plan in mind at some point, the way he wanted to end it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point, like, Jump just gave gave Araki free reign to just finish it up. Like, they, did, I don't think they'd ever want to actively cancel JoJo. Because it had been part of the magazine for so long. Yeah. So they were probably just like, Rocky, you have one part, finish this all up. Once after that, you're done, we want you to start something new. <laughs> and then Rocky's like, oh, fuck you, I did another JoJo. <laughs> yeah. So next is, what's the best what if of Eyes of Heaven? Bauchi is asking two kind of questions in one here. What is the best what if? Jojo's uh, speculation, and then what is the best what if introduced in Eyes of Heaven? I haven't played Eyes of Heaven, so I'm going to have to defer to B Lord, who at least knows more about kind of things. Um, that I've I've seen I've seen people play Eyes of Heaven, but I'm not sure if I remember a lot about it. I mean, I haven't played the game myself to be honest, but I I guess in terms of what ifs, I really like that it brought up the idea of what if Dio had obtained Made in Heaven. Instead of Poochie. Like, to be honest, like, before this game came up, I always thought that would be kind of the end game of the JoJo manga. Somehow, Araki would bring Dio back, he would obtain Made in Heaven, and then it would be kind of an all-out assault against Dio. Yeah, so I I really like that it kind of brought up that idea. Because it was Dio's original plan to get Made in Heaven. there's There's a part in the game... Where, um, I guess in terms of Eyes of Heaven, where, uh, eventually Kakuin, Jotaro, and, uh, and Joseph all go back in time into part two. And eventually Joseph meets up with his younger self, and that leads to some funny interactions. And then eventually the Pillar Men show up, because, like, I think this is, uh, this is still in the portion where, uh, Joseph and uh, Caesar are still training to fight the Pillar Men, and uh, the, the the Pillar Men like show up for whatever reason. I don't really remember. They they show up, and uh, older Joseph tries to uh, tries to talk to them into leaving and giving them more time for uh, the other Joseph and Caesar to train. And I thought that was kind of cool because obviously Joseph Joseph's been through 
all of that already. So he kind of he kind of knows how to handle the situation. I I thought that was I thought that was kind of an interesting scenario to tackle. I'm not sure if I have a favorite what if. Oh, oh, actually I do. It's uh, when Jotaro jo and Kakuloin having a baby from an egg. There we go. Isn't that isn't that a clamp thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That was like an actual thing that they drew and wrote. Isn't that also the isn't that also the comic where like you have all the Stardust Crusaders plus Sonic the Hedgehog for some reason on the cover? I think so. I know that I know that exists. I also like like that uh fan comic that drew Jolene uh, like oh, little in, Jolene goes little to Jolene interacting with in part four with part four cast that was, that was that was cute. They actually they actually do a little bit of that at the end of um, at the end of Eyes of Heaven. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, that they, I mean, they, at least they have a little Jolene running around Mario. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, I, I wish I, I wish that was a real thing that would happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from like those what ifs, I guess. George Josar is pretty much a what if since there's no way that actually happened. And I, even though I haven't read it, I, just from the summaries, I I think this thing's probably just an amazing masterpiece <laughs> of like craziness. I, I really have to wonder what Iraqi thinks about that novel. Yeah, be interesting to get his thoughts on that. Um, actually, another what if I've seen around, I've seen. Um, I forget if it was like some kind of official promo art, or I, I think it. Probably was more than likely fan art, but I've seen fan art of like of of uh, Josuke becoming a cop. I thought that yeah, that, that I mean that makes sense given his personality and his abilities. I, I think that that that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty uh, it, uh, sensible what if. I think I'd like to see that. Yeah, that would have been cool. And then uh, I guess if that does it for what ifs. Uh, let's move on to what do you think Josuke is doing during parts five and six? He he's obviously being a cop. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's probably. I think that probably would have been his career path. He probably would have followed in his grandfather's footsteps and become. Oh yeah, his grandpa was a cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it's pretty easy to say that, like, pretty much him along with everyone else in Morio is just kind of living their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're probably not coming into contact with. Well, maybe they they come in contact with people with stands still, but they're probably not getting into as many stand fights. Yeah, or really, if at yeah. all. So I, I I I know Koichi plays a part in part five, right? He appears like in the first few chapters, and then he kind of disappears, and we never well, see him again. He leaves. He doesn't disappear. Yeah, yeah, he leaves. But yeah, is Jotaro in part five too? He makes a brief cameo. Okay, because because I I know I know Jotaro wants him to get like a like a DNA sample from uh, from Giorno. I think right. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Like he wanted he wanted to make sure that Giorno is like Dio's son. Ah, okay. Finally, uh, this was a question we answered in our mind divide, but I think would be a good way to end us off here as our last Q and A question. Who would win in a free-for-all between all the JoJo's villains and the JoJo's? Gold Experience Requiem. <laughs> I think that Kira would actually might be able to win because he would use Bites to Dust 
So he would set a condition that if he was, like, in mortal danger or if he, like, died, Bites to Dust would activate and then he would get sent back in time and he'd still be alive. And then he could figure out a way to uh, get everyone else to be blown up because of Bites to Dust or otherwise defeat them. So I'm going to go with Kira. But Sid, you're forgetting. Giorno can reset everything to zero. Yes, no but stand if... will be activated. He can prevent anything from happening. So he can reverse bites the dust. He can reverse anything. Nothing works against him. I'm gonna say Jotaro because he could just punch everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I still think Giorno just kind of wins like this entire argument every time because you can't beat Giorno. He's too OP. Oh, hey, if if uh. I guess he's not a JoJo or a or a villain, or at least I don't think he's a villain. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, may, maybe like if 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 uh, Fugo wasn't written out of the story, maybe he could win. <laughs> yeah, no. Fugo could just go into a fire pit. No one cares about him. It wasn't wasn't he written out because because his stand power was too powerful? Wasn't that the reason? Like, the whole thing with Purple Haze feedback to Stan is that Fugo can't actually control it. Oh, okay. Like, it just has a mind of its own. So he can't actually use it in battle. It just stands there and, like, he has to wait for enemies to come near it. Okay, because I, I thought he was written up because he was OP. At least that's what I thought I guess I in a way, like, once Purple Haze feedback hits something, it's sort of OP. Since it has, like, really powerful poison in its fists. But... The fact that he can't really use it at will prevents it from really being useful. So basically, Iraqi kind of wrote himself into a corner. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, that's a shame. Was he at least a good character at all? No, he was terrible. <laughs> he was <Okay>. useless. <laughs> well. She was right about of part five, the part five anime. You know what we need to do? We need to do a live reading of, of one of those novels Sugo is in. And you you can hate talk Fugo, basically. What if reading. I really like the novel or something? I mean, <laughs> well, it's a live reaction to the novel, basically. What I'm suggesting, okay, you do a live reaction to the Fugo novel. So basically, Sid's just going to record an audio book, and then Velor's going to be like, "Fuck Fugo, I fuck it." Sid, why are you reading this? He's just like, just keeps <gasps> just keeps like yelling in the background <laughs> while Sid reads the novel. No, Velor is going to read it, and he's going to get angry at it while he's reading it. I mean, the thing is, I don't think I'm going to hate the Purple Haze feedback novel. If anything, it could just be kind of mediocre. No, like, apparently it's really good. I mean, it's done by the, it's written by the creator of Boogie Pop Phantom. Okay, yeah. No, so it is going to be good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, G Giorna would just win. Yeah. And that does it for our Q&As. Oh my Man. god. We went on for over two and a half hours. So, yeah, thank you guys for sending in those questions. It was a lot of fun answering them, and maybe, hopefully, we'll do this again sometime. Keep sending us your Q&As to mangamavericks at gmail.com or on Twitter at at mangamavericks, and we'll read them out on the show. That's, uh, man that's manga underscore mavericks. Manga underscore mavericks, okay. Um, but I think uh, I think we should just wrap up then. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you guys for joining us 
on another one of our bizarre JoJo's journeys to answering your Q&A, and thus concluding JoJo's month. Yep, this was a very exciting, impromptu JoJo's month. Yes. I hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to us discuss the series as much as we enjoyed discussing it. And maybe we'll do another team month in the near future. I might have some ideas. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, uh, you can make sure to... Fo- uh, I guess we should uh, make sure to let you know where to find us. Uh, we, Lori, would you like to tell the people where they can find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so... You can mainly find me on uh, Twitter at VLORDGTZ, V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, if you want to talk about JoJo or Detective Conan or about how much I hate Fugo as a character, you could hit me up there. But yeah, that's kind of it. I'm also going to be on Movie Mavericks whenever that comes out every like month or so or whenever Sid and I want to record that. But yeah, that's about it. And Colton, would you like to tell the people where they can find you? Well, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. Um, if you want to listen to my other podcasts, there's uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama Maga cast, if you're a Gintama fan. And if you want to listen to mine and various others' thoughts on the Gintama Maga from the beginning uh through the old Fizz Media release, you could find that. That's Life Lessons, the Gintama Maga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Uh there's also uh speaking of Detective Conan, one podcast prevails. Uh, essentially the same kind of same kind of format. We talk about the Detective Conan slash case closed manga through its actual ongoing Viz release from the beginning. Uh so you want to find that that's at one podcastprevails.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. As for me, you can find me as at Lomamayasha on places such as Twitter, my anime list, and Animation Revelation. Though I will warn you, I am on an internet hiatus right now, so you won't be seeing many tweets from me. But if you PM me on any of those places, I will answer you. As for the show, you can make sure to follow the show at manga underscore mavericks on Twitter, mangamavericks.tumblr.com, and and especially our new brand spanking new YouTube page, uh, Manga Mavericks, basically is just the name of the YouTube page. And make sure to like our videos on there and subscribe to our channel because we need a hundred subscribers in order to get a custom URL. Uh, so make sure to do that. As Make also make sure to check back every Friday for new episodes of the show or related podcasts. Manga Mavericks comes out on a bi-weekly schedule. Movie Mavericks comes out uh, just whenever. And Manga Fights, unfortunately, will be on hiatus until the summer or so. Maybe a little earlier. It still hasn't been planned. But do make sure to keep an eye out for when it will return. Uh, make sure to visit allcomic.com for more Manga Mavericks content and general manga review content. And make sure to like and subscribe to us on iTunes. That is also extremely important in order to help our show grow. Come on, you guys. We only have one on there so far. We It's been a year. We need some more. Also, make sure to fill out our 
first year year annual survey and give us some feedback to help us improve the show going forward in 2017. Thank you guys, and I hope to see you in the next one. All right, bye guys. Later. Don't act like you don't know. Don't act like you don't know. Don't act like you don't know.